This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, to cover another week of fantasy hockey action, it's your friend and mine, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this, like, Elon... Is really special. I just want all the listeners to know he collects, like, sucks up all this info through the week and then spits it out ready for the show. You should see. I mean, you're about to hear and you can read the list of players we're going to discuss. There is nothing more comprehensive than Elon's list of fantasy hockey news. And I'm not talking just in the fantasy hockey world. I'm talking about anything. No one has ever done anything as comprehensive as Elon compiling relevant fantasy hockey news to to analyze and give insight on let's do it all right well i appreciate that brad i don't know if we need to do an ad for ourselves at the beginning of the show i don't <laughs> want to toot our own horns too much here how about you as the listeners will be the judge of if this was a good set of content to cover but yeah we got a lot to get to so let's get on with it shortly of course first let's mention that we're presented by dauberhockey.com the number one fantasy hockey resource out there they've got as much content as i have prepared for this show they've got that coming out basically every day on their website you're getting new articles there's ju- they just dropped an article to 21 fantasy hockey rambles just 21 random thoughts about different players from pasternak to Gusev to Victor Hedman, who's injured. And we'll talk a lot about a lot of these guys, too. But you always want to be up to date by checking out DauberHockey.com. But okay, with that, Brian, yeah, I'd love to get into things. Last week, we started with injuries. So let's start on a more optimistic note. This week, let's talk about some outjuries. Let's talk about some players who finally came back, some for the very first time, some after a lengthy injury. And I want to start in Pittsburgh. Evgeny Malkin, who was supposed to be out, like, forever. Like, when he got injured, I remember people were talking, like, is this guy, like, gotten for the season? Like, what's going on? What was it? Like, a couple weeks? Three weeks? Feels like it was just yesterday that he got hurt. He already returned in yesterday's 2-1 loss to Edmonton. And Pittsburgh also recently got back Alex Galchenyuk. So they were a fully healthy team for like a period and a half, so we'll get there in a sec. But yeah, in yesterday's 2-1 overtime loss to Edmonton, both Malkin and Galchenyuk, they linked up on a line together along with Patrick Hornfist, who unfortunately suffered a leg injury in the third. He's expected to be out long-term, so no more Hornfist, but they did have Malkin Galchenyuk together. Neither of them got a point, but uh, Malkin took six shots, Galchenyuk four, so I feel like this line might be pretty good. Looks like maybe Brian Rust will be the third piece on that line moving forward, according to today's practice lines. 
Galchenyuk also played on Tuesday, by the way, versus Philly. Two shots, no points. Uh, as far as the power play went, Malkin bumped Hornqvist from the top power play to play with Crosby, Gensel, Latang, and Schultz. Kind of interesting to see Justin Schultz still on the top power play, even though Galchenyuk is back. I wonder if that's going to change soon. So, okay, now we've got Malkin and Galchenyuk back. We have Hornqvist out. Let's take stock of the Penguins forwards who could make an impact in the coming weeks. Obviously, we've got our studs, Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Latang. They're not available in any of your fantasy leagues. But then there's like a bunch of guys who probably are available in a lot of leagues and i'd love to get like a ranking from you or some small analysis of each of these options who who's on your radar who's not so i'll give you the list brian i know i've been talking for a while here so you could jump in first if you hello? want hello yeah so you're still here i've got a list of players i want to throw at you on the penguins that i i feel like all of them you can make an argument for being the most valuable and least valuable one to stream in okay are you going to name them? Yeah, okay, so I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I thought maybe some playful banter would be good to start the show, but let me just <laughs> spit it all out, and then you'll talk for five minutes. So here we go. We did all our playful banter before the show in the live recording that's in our patrons' Facebook group. Yeah, for those of you who want to watch live, you have to be a patron in the Facebook group. Yeah, Brian and I have 10 minutes of oh, basically just a waste of time before we start the show. We should have started 10 minutes early, but that's fine. Okay, uh, so here are these players on Pittsburgh I want to get your thoughts on. So first of all, Alex Galchenyuk himself, who's back from injury. He only has two assists in five games, but hey, line two with Malkin, not on the top power play, like I said, but I feel like he's got to be next in line, especially now with Hornquist out. He's got to be next in line to bump Justin Schultz once Pittsburgh goes back to a four forward, one defenseman power play, which, it, which they've been successful with for so many years. Obviously, that was with Phil Kessel. Anyways, Galchenyuk. It's got to be on your radar. You got Dominic Simone spent another week sticking on line one. While he didn't produce yesterday, he had a one goal, two assist game versus Philly. He's now up to nine points in his last 11 games. So Dominic Simone loving life playing with Crosby and Gensel. Uh, Hornfist, like I said, he's out. Too bad. 10 points in 14 games. It was, he was having a nice bounce back season. That's going to be on hold. And then a couple dark horses. I mentioned Brian Rust. He's played in three games now. Three points. And like I said, in today's practice, he was skating on a line with Galchenyuk and Malkin. So not a bad spot. And then maybe a big dark horse how about brandon tanev he had a three game point streak snapped yesterday he's playing on not the most exciting line like bluger and zach aston reese but he was playing with malkin and galchenyuk to start the season so it is possible that the penguins go back to that at some point and hey tanev seven points in 14 games nothing to sneeze at plus 55 i was about to say 40 no 40 would be nothing 55 hits for brandon tanev so if you are in a bangers league this guy could give you some points and a whole lot of bangs okay so brian that's my list what do you think about all these penguins who are you into Holy cow, where to start? Well, you started off by talking about Galchenyuk, so let me talk about him before the rest of these guys. Who, like, We're still trying to figure out who Galchenyuk is as a Pittsburgh Penguin, right? He doesn't have much of a profile built up in Pittsburgh yet, but in his short time as a Penguin, Galchenyuk's numbers look most similar to the second best year of his career, where he put up 56 points in 82 games in Montreal. That was back in 2015-16. So it's nice that his numbers so far are looking like one of the best years of his career, although still... It's not exactly a 56-point pace, not exactly what we'd hope for uh, to be the ceiling of the former third overall pick back in 2012. But let's hope that Galchenyuk at least has a starting point here for building a basis of fantasy relevance in his age 25 season. One thing Galchenyuk does have going for him this year over that 15-16 season with uh, that where he put up similar numbers is that his centerman is not Lars Eller, it's Evgeny freaking healthy Malkin Touchwood. So I'm going to take a small leap of faith here and hope that Galchenyuk holds on the second line and for that reason, is able to get above 50 points, right? That's a basic floor. There's certainly room for him to go higher, though. And how much higher could he go? Uh, The answer depends on his top power play role, which right now doesn't exist. But why not 
try him there, Pittsburgh. Elon, you mentioned that Justin Schultz has zero points on the power play in his last nine games. Well, let's zoom out from just Justin Schultz. Let's not blame him. No Penguin at all has registered a single power play point in any of their last eight games played. The Penguins last scored a power play goal on October 13th against Winnipeg. They're 0 for 19 since then with the man advantage. And if that's not an invitation to shake up your power play unit and invite Galchenyuk up there, then what is? So if Galchenyuk doesn't get a shot on the top power play in the very near future with the Penguins power play shooting blanks, then maybe that's a sign. We shouldn't really be counting on him to get there at all which would leave him as more of a 50-point player than someone who we could hope for 55 or more. Uh, so let's keep that in mind when we are trying to figure out what exactly to make of Galchenyuk at this point. I'm very curious to see if he makes his way onto this struggling top power play unit, if the Penguins see him as a potential solution or someone who's just never going to be there. Um, and then we're looking, so you mentioned Hornqvist is out. Um, we're trying to figure out who's going to replace him on his line because that factors into this conversation too, where you want me to rank these available Pittsburgh players. Um, of course, anyone could replace Hornqvist, not because Hornqvist sucks or anything, but that's the way Pittsburgh rolls, right? They have a zillion players who can play at least two forward positions. Some of them can play all three. If I had to bet, and we have these lines, actually, I wrote this before we saw this tweet, uh, but I was going to say Rust is probably going to spend the most time up on the second line with Malkin and Galchenyuk, but knowing Pittsburgh, it's going to be a revolving door between Brian Rust and, like, Anyone? Zach Aston Reese, Brandon Tanev, maybe even Dominic Cahoon or Nick Bjugstad could take a turn or two. Uh, you know, you think if you're trying to find Malkin's third wheel, it's going to be a short term look. Brian Russ is your best bet for anyone who's going to stick there for any length of time, but it's probably go- not going to last more than three or four games at a time. Okay. So we've talked about the second line in Pittsburgh. Let's rank all these guys you've brought up. So I'm ranking them in terms of points mostly. I have Dominic Simone first, then Alex Galchenyuk, then Brian Rust, then Brandon Tanev, and then Zach Aston Reese. But one thing you didn't mention, Elon, was the presence of Zach Aston Reese. He's made a bit of noise in the top six before. He throws a couple hits, takes a couple shots each game. He's like a Brandon Tanev light. And Tanev, meanwhile, is like the semi blade type that we, you know, when we were talking about Blay going off at the start of the season, that's what you can hope for from Brandon Tanev. Uh, so you could move Tanev and Zach Aston Reese up this ranking I made, depending on what those big hits are going to be worth to you. So again, I have Dominic Simone, Galchenyuk, Rust, Tanev, Zach Aston Reese. Elon, do you think I've got that right? I, I think so. I think it is kind of a hot take to say you'd rather have Dominic Simone on your fantasy team than Alex yeah. Galchenyuk. But the, hey, the numbers speak for themselves. And it seems like Simone is sticking. So watch now next week after Monday's game <laughs> and then coming into Thursday's game. All of a sudden the lines are all different. It is Zach Aston Reese on the top line with Crosby and Gensel. But hey, maybe not. Simone is doing well. So I think it makes sense, Brian. Galchenyuk is a free agent in a couple of my leagues. It's, it's a tough decision, right? I think I might want to wait and see if he's at least getting that power play time before I'm willing to bump him up. And if he was on the top power play, maybe then I'd rather have him over Dominic yeah. Simone. Okay. Agreed. So- if Galchenyuk ends up on the top power play, that's what puts him at the top of that ranking. But until he's there, I can't do it. Yeah, so there you go. That's the Penguins. Uh, very interesting team right now. We'll see a whole new look Penguins with Malkin and Galchenyuk back for a whole week next week. Uh, by the way, Brian, let's talk about the Edmonton Oilers quickly. They're the team that stymied the Pens in Malkin's return yesterday, keeping all of these guys pointless. Mike Smith, wow. So he, first of all, okay, going back, he had the terrible game where he got pulled against Florida a couple weeks ago, but he's been great in his two games since. He stopped 23 of 24 versus Columbus, and then 51 of 52 versus Pittsburgh yesterday to help the Oilers to two straight wins 
now. And yeah, that great win over Pittsburgh. Uh, meanwhile, Miko Koskinen, he had a nice bounce back himself after a bad game. He had a good game versus Detroit earlier in the week. But uh, Smith got the next two games. Brian, what do you think is going to happen now next week? Edmonton has the heralded stream gummy. They're playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday of next week. A stream scheme classic. I'm sure you'll hear all about it on the stream scheme podcast hosted by Dave Bedman, which you, you can subscribe to. We've told you all about that before. But yeah, so Edmonton plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Like, based on how the season was looking at the start, you would have thought, okay, Mike Smith just played two games. So yeah, probably Koskinen's going to get the next two games. But Mike Smith is coming off like such a great game. Do you really want to sit a goalie who's so hot? So what do you think is going to happen in the Edmonton net? And like, what am I supposed to do? I have both of these guys available as free agents in a lot of my leagues. I'd love for just Mike Smith to get the ball and be allowed to run with it until he doesn't do it. But maybe that's not what Dave Tippett wants to do. So what's your take on what people should be doing with these Edmonton goalies at this point? And I feel like I'm going to just keep asking you this every single episode till the end of the season. I think we're at 100% in talking about the Oilers goaltending situation because it's been surprising, right? It's been surprising that Smith put up some good games and then Koskinen put up some good games and that near neither of that mattered because they just kept going two on, two off. And so thankfully, we have one example already this year where Smith strung together two strong starts and after them, Tippett still went to Miko Koskinen next. And the same thing happened when Miko Koskinen strung two great starts together. Then Tippett was like, okay, good job. Now it's Mike Smith's turn. All we know about the Oilers goalie situation so far is this two on, two off pattern. So I think it's safe to assume it continues until we see them break it. I feel like the Oilers are pretty happy getting two great games out of Smith and then letting the old man rest up for his next pair of outings. It seems to be working so far. So why mess with a good thing? Yeah, it's just so weird. Like, you're going to see on Yahoo, you know, after Smith's great game, he had, like, a big surge in his percentage owned, and now he's not going to play maybe until Friday. So, I don't know. Maybe you don't want to be adding Mike Smith. But if he does get that call, if you see that Mike Smith is going to be playing on tomorrow's game, Monday's game, then you got to add him, because that means that they're breaking protocol and maybe riding him. So, that would definitely uh, tweak my interest, for sure. I hope they keep going 2-2, because it would give them the most predictable starting goalie pattern ever. Right. Yeah. In that case, yeah. Grab Mike Smith on Friday and, you know, you're going to get two games over the weekend. Uh, All right. So did you see, by the way, speaking of the Oilers, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins and James Neal had their line together split up. They had been together for most of the season on the second line. But in the last couple of games, we've been seeing Nugent Hopkins with Kyra and Sam Gagne. And then Neal, I guess, on the third line with Shia-san and a guy named Haas. I I didn't want to get into with the Oilers and their players that are not named. Do you know his first name? Alex, I believe. I think it's Gaetan. I don't know. Whatever. I didn't write that down. And oh, you tell me if Haas should be on people's radars. I'm going to assume not. Or is it Duggan? All right. So what? Oh, Doug, you're good. That Look at this guy. Okay. So yeah, seems like the change, by the way, worked for Ryan Jude Hopkins. He picked up two even strength assists on Wednesday versus Columbus. Still, he only has nine points in 15 games on the season. That's a 49-point pace for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Can we expect this to improve with Nugent Hopkins' uh, I don't know, questionable line mates? Like Kyra and Sam Gagne as his second-line line mates. Not great. Like, do we need to start preparing for a big fall from RNH's 69 points last season? Like, yeah, he's on the top power play, but like, how many points can this guy get at even strength? Last year, a big part of his 69 points was a stretch of the season where he was playing with McDavid on the top line. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen this year. It doesn't. And let's not act like we're surprised that Nugent Hopkins' line mates are questionable, right? We saw this coming from the very outset of not even preseason, the summer. Uh, And it has affected Ryan Nugent Hopkins, obviously, not playing with McDavid. His five-on-five scoring rates are down, but you know, there still is every indication that they will 
perk back up to where they've been the last couple seasons. And it's a similar story for Nugent Hopkins on the power play, too, really. Nugent Hopkins has a 40% IPP in all situations, down from what we can usually expect from him, which is a 65-70% IPP. And honestly, that's the main culprit here. He's just not getting in on as many goals as he normally does, and I don't think that's happening in a like repeatable way. It's just bad luck for him at the moment. Oh, and there's also the thing about Nugent Hopkins shooting below 3%? What? He's been a 15% shooter the last couple seasons and above 10% in five of his last six. So this is something that we can absolutely count on to correct itself. His expected goals numbers both on his own and on the ice still look real fine along with the other usual offensive indicators. So this is why I think uh, you need to keep the faith with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, as hard as it may be, given the dearth of five-on-five line mates that he has to work with. Maybe last year's 69 points is too high a target to repeat for Nugent Hopkins, and this may be the first season that he doesn't see at least some substantial time and stretches with Connor McDavid, so you need to be aware of that and not expect that near 70-point mark. But if you can buy low on Nugent Hopkins somehow as a 60-point player, I think that could pan out for you in the long view. Wow. Okay. So I might need to take back some of the advice I've given on our Facebook group recently because I was a little concerned about RNH. But if you're saying that he has super low shooting percentage, he's not getting it on as many goals as you should expect him to, then yeah, maybe it is a really good buy low opportunity. So maybe reach out to the Ryan Nugent Hopkins owner in your league, see what you'd have to pay to get him. Uh, then we have James Neal, who's like the opposite. He has three points in his last five games, two being power play goals. The dude's at 13 points in 15 games on the season. So it's been an amazing start for James Neal. Looks like he'll be holding power play one all year but I mean it's hard to bank on a guy who's now not even playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins right if he's going to be in the bottom six got to imagine that his production is going to start to slow so maybe he's a sell high maybe if you have James Neal and someone else is Ryan Nugent Hopkins you make that offer right now maybe that's a good deal for you yeah I would absolutely do that deal because James Neal uh I would be happy to deal I can't I'd I blew it. I used the rhyme twice. I mean, uh, who James Neal plays with at five on five doesn't really matter. It hasn't been the primary factor in his production this year. Of course, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is best, right? Neal only has five points at evens. They've all come with Nugent Hopkins on the ice. And I wouldn't be optimistic that those keep coming the same way without Ryan Nugent Hopkins. But of course, the majority of Neal's points have come on the power play. Eight of them have been on the power play. And those have all been power play goals. And I wouldn't be optimistic about that volume of points to continue coming at all, even if he stays with RNH at evens. James Neal is shooting 25% on the season. He has 11 goals on 44 shots. And the majority have come on the power play, where you can expect a greater percentage of shots to be successful. But Neal has scored on very nearly half of his power play shots, 47%, which even for the power play, that's more than twice as high as we could expect to be sustainable in the long term. So what we're at right here is a great sell high moment for James Neal, even if he does stick with RNH at five on five. If he doesn't get back with Nugent Hopkins soon, then you really need to shop around quickly and see what your trade return options are. Neal is doing great, but he's not back. Okay, he may be fringe fantasy relevant all year, like an Alex Chieson type, but that's about as good a landing as I see for him. Wow. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to go that far. Because James Neal does have higher upside. He's been a 30-goal guy in the past. But I, in general, I get what you're saying. And I do love the idea, if you're a James Neal owner, to make an offer for Ryan Nugent Hopkins right now. It's a very easy one-for-one. One. The owner of RNH will just be like, oh, yeah, I'll take the guy who has more points. Boom, you're going to have the guy who's going to be better long-term. Obviously, there's position eligibility concerns. But uh, okay, also on Edmonton, uh, Oscar Clefbaum, Brian, what the hell is going on with this guy? Why must he always do this to us? He had a super hot start to the season. I think on one of the episodes, I said, Brian, is this going to be finally be the year that Clefbaum 
bomb's gonna... And you were like, yeah, I think he will. I think this might be, just be the year. No. Now we're looking at another year of him disappointing us after we got excited. He's now pointless. Come on. In, well, okay. He's this point- is very chicken little. All right. So fine. He's pointless in eight games now. Brian, <laughs> do you still have faith? Like, I'm not saying that I don't. I'm just trying to build a story here. Brian, now tell everyone why they should still be holding on to Oscar Clefbaum, even though he's pointless in eight games. I know we're all scarred from previous years of Oscar Clefbaum where we've seen these stretches and we've seen him get busted right down the depth chart and never recover and just burn a hole in your roster while you wait for him to do something. But I don't think it's the same thing happening here. In those eight pointless games of Clefbaum, 24 shots, 21 blocks, also seeing more than 80% of available power play time on the blue line in Edmonton. So no loss of faith reflected from coaching staff in that respect. And his shots and blocks, I mean, there's no loss of faith from me. Clefbaum's hot start was too hot, and I think we said that. And the cold spell following it has been too cold. So he, either, he, pre- he might have won you weeks at the start and lost you weeks recently, but he's still on the whole pacing for almost 50 points, which is probably right. I think Clefbaum is also a good buy-low opportunity for anyone disillusioned by this cold snap. Uh, you know, maybe an owner is scarred from the past, thinks he's not bouncing back. I would absolutely offer someone like James Neal for Oscar Clefbaum. Of course, there is that ever-present threat of Clefbaum being bumped from the top power play, but it hasn't happened yet after eight pointless games which is a good sign. And by the way, he's not the only cold one on the, on the Edmonton power play. In this eight-game slump for Clefbaum, Edmonton is just two for 21 on the power play. So nobody is really doing anything on the Edmonton power play lately. So I would absolutely hold Clefbaum or even I'm willing to buy low on him, Elon. Is that, too, is that going too far? Well, all I'll say is that when you give me this stat, they're two for 21 on the power play lately, that makes me think maybe they're going to change things up soon. That's more of a reason to be concerned about Oscar. You're saying it as if it's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the flip side, right? Like earlier I mentioned how Justin Schultz and the Penguins are doing so terribly on the power play. Everyone sucks. So it's not Justin Schultz's fault. Uh, I can spin that either way I want, I guess. Yeah, but you just Uh, love Oscar Clefbaum, so you'll spin it the way for Oscar Clefbaum. That is part of it. But I also think it's more likely that the Penguins try and get Galchenyuk up on the top power play to see what they can do, right? Like, like he's still, they're still trying to figure out power play life post-Kessel, whereas the Oilers, I think, I hope they realize that Clefbaum gives them their best power play configuration. <laughs> sure, I'm sure they do. Even though last year they put Darnell Nurse there. I, who, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not, like, uh, freaking out too much about Clefbaum, but I don't want to put out too much confidence out there. Like, it's very possible that there's four games next week in one of them Clefbaum's off the top power play. But hopefully not, right, if you're a Clefbaum owner. And yeah, buy low, but don't go crazy. Like, Brian said 50 points. I, mean, I don't know. Give me 40, 45 points, which is still good. But 50 is kind of high for someone. I don't know if he's ever even come close to that before. Uh, okay, another team... That had a couple of really good players return is the Nashville Predators. They saw Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne. They both got back into action last week. Forsberg had missed six games. I guess Duchesne only one, but I just want to include him just so that he could be in the conversation here. Uh, just like the Penguins, Nashville also got stymied by a hot goalie yesterday. Alex Georgiev stopped 32 of 33 to give the Rangers a big 2-1 to win. Anyway, it looks like the lines shuffled around a lot in that game. So again, we can't really read too much into lines. Forsberg started the game playing with Duchesne and Granlund. And Callie Yarncroft was playing with Johansson and Arvidsson. But then it looks like Forsberg and Yarncroft swapped lines mid-game. Uh, one thing I can say that was consistent the top power play, Arvidsson, Duchesne, Forsberg, Johansson, Roman Yosi. What a sweet-looking top power play that they couldn't get anything by. Like I said, Alex Georgiev yesterday. 
So, Brian, like, not much to say about Forsberg. He got an assist yesterday. He's up to nine points in eight games. Now people are very happy to have him back in their lineups. This guy's a stud. But uh, what about Matt Duchesne? After a hot start to the season, he's now pointless in four. Uh, Anything to worry about here? Like, you know, if you weren't worried about pointless in eight for Clefbaum, I can't imagine you'll be too concerned about pointless in four for Duchesne. I'm even going to change the numbers on you, Elon. You see, pointless in four games. Uh, You know how we have arguments about whether you can stretch those sorts of aggregated numbers over missed games and I understand like there's a valid argument to say he was cold going into the injury cold coming out but in those four games the first one of those four was the game where he got injured played fewer than 10 minutes so let's forgive that one and call Duchesne pointless in three games and in his return to the lineup in the fourth game of this stretch well the third game actually as I've just redefined it uh, Duchesne looks like he may have played cautiously low minutes just 17 compared to 19 minutes the next two games so uh, in these three games there's not a whole lot to look at yet in terms of spotting any signs of Duchesne failing so I can't rationalize your worry I can only say that I do not think it's time to push a panic button yet on Matt Duchesne yeah, I don't think so either. Just wanted to throw it out there because someone else might be thinking about it. The real thing I want to talk about on uh, Nashville, there's a couple of players who are super hot right now. People want to know, Brian, should they be adding either Callie Yarncroc or Nick Bonino? Both are on super hot runs. They're both actually sitting at 11 points in 14 games at the moment. Yarncroc was, of course, pointless yesterday because of freaking Georgiev, who's making uh, Lungfist owners tear their hair out. Uh, but before that, Yarncroc had four goals and two assists in five games. Seems to have cemented himself in the top six on one of those two lines, at least for the time being. Uh, Benino, though, yeah, he's in the bottom six. He's played with Craig Smith and Rocco Grimaldi yesterday, but he had himself a week with a hat trick and nine shots versus Chicago, and then one goal on four shots versus Calgary. Uh, like I said, no points yesterday. So yeah, Brian, are either Callie Yarncroc or Nick Benino on your radar? Do either of them uh, come off to you as guys that you would expect them to maybe be able to keep up these great paces that they put up so far? Callie spilling quite a yarn over there. Yarncrack has four goals on his last 17 shots in four games, which before we say the obvious, which is like he's shooting near 25%, that's unsustainable. Let's take a moment and enjoy those 17 shots in his last four games. Yarncrack has been at times a frustratingly low volume shooter. Uh, so this is really nice that he's averaging four shots per game over his last four. Way to go, Cali. Uh, his time on ice got exciting for a couple games too, but it crested at 19 minutes and has since fallen back down below 15 in his last couple outings. But it's nice to know that Cali Yankrock is an option to revolve through the top six, like sort of the way Craig Smith has been in recent years. But I wouldn't say Yankrock is any more or less valuable than a Craig Smith type, although Yankrock might have a little more raw talent to offer. So if he does get turns in the top six, he might be able to do a little bit more with him. I'd love to see it sustain for like a month where he is a regular member of that group. Um, as for Nick Benino, Uh, Well, let me just say this. I'm looking at the total points per 60 scoring rates at five on five so far this year. Uh, You've got Brad Marchand leading the way, then David Pasternak, then Elias Pedersen, and then, of course, naturally, Nick Benino ranking fourth in the league in points per 60. That's incredible. But if you're asking me if I want him on my roster, if I want to make any sort of sacrifice to add him, I'm going to tell you, Benny, no thanks. He has seven goals on 30 shots, a 15% on ice shooting percentage. I mean, we should give him some credit for showing his highest levels of offensive generation and threat of his career. Benino deserves some of what he's done rightfully, but not 
nearly all of it with some of these wild percentages that have helped him to produce at a rate double that of anything he's previously done in his career. His other rates and like sustainable improvements have not doubled themselves. So there's no way this point pace is going to continue. I'm not buying in on Benino. Okay, yeah, fair enough. That's what I expected you to say. But Callie Yarncroc sounds like he's someone you are somewhat interested in, though only at the level of a Craig Smith last year, which, yeah, he was hot for short stretches, but then would go completely cold. I guess you're saying you expect the same from him. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Or we can go and talk about this Rangers team. Like, I brought up Georgiev. Let's talk about this, because are, are we at a point where we should say the Rangers are a team with a clear goalie tandem, or maybe even that Georgiev is the 1A or should be? Like, what do you make of the Rangers goalie situation? Maybe similar to Edmonton, but actually not, because Georgiev has been great. Henrik Lundqvist, not so much. Both have played six games. Lundqvist has only won two of them and is sporting a 906 save percentage. Meanwhile, Alexander has won three of his six games with a sparkling 933 save percentage. Got to imagine Lundqvist is a tough hold in a lot of leagues at this point. Do you still have faith in him to play, like, say, 50 games, put up an okay save percentage like maybe some people were hoping he'd be able to do going into the year? Or would you be willing to maybe cut bait at this point? If, say, like, the Edmonton tandem is in free agency, is it time for Henrik Lundqvist to join them? You know, like, and also, would you be into Georgiev as a speculative ad uh, at this point to see how long he could actually hold on to these great numbers? You want him to be putting up those numbers in your roster, right? There's something very funky going on in New York right now. It's actually, if by funky you mean sad or I mean sad, I'm going to put it simply, Henrik Lundqvist is getting screwed. When he's in net, the Rangers are offering the worst goalie protection of any NHL team, allowing an average of three and a quarter expected goals per 60 minutes at five on five. Let me try and contextualize this for you because I know that doesn't mean anything uh, to pretty much anyone here, three and a quarter expected goals per 60 minutes. That's nearly an extra half an expected goal over the next lowest regular tender, which is Robin Lehner. So it's a big gap between them. Uh, By the way, uh, just as an aside, we called that one, right? About having a tough, tough workload in Chicago for Robin Lehner, but he's handling it pretty well. Maybe we'll talk about him later. Okay, so Lungfist is a big step worse in the expected goals that his team is allowing uh, than the next worst guy, which is Robin Lehner. And uh, he's also essentially an entire expected goal against worse than Alexander Georgiev, his own teammate. The Rangers, when Georgiev is in the net, are, are allowing a roughly league average two and a quarter expected goals against. For further context, all goalies outside Henrik Lundqvist are seeing between 1.7 and 2.75 expected goals against. For So for Lundqvist to be an entire half a goal outside of a range that itself is only one goal wide is just insane. And that it's one goal worse than when Georgiev is in net for the exact same team? Mind-boggling. New York Rangers, this is not how you treat your franchise god slash goalie. Come on. Now, Hank has also sort of been responsible for his numbers. He's not playing up to the task, but he's not missing his expected goals against numbers by a whole lot. And Georgiev is playing above his own expected goals against numbers too. So let's give him some due credit. But if the Rangers can play sound defensively for Georgiev, then I'm hopeful they can do the same for King Hank before too long. They've been incredibly terrible in front of Lundqvist in a way that would be nearly impossible to continue doing all season long. So I have some faith in Henrik Lundqvist rebounding, but I would rank him and Georgiev similar to like the Edmonton and Detroit tandems. They all feature goalies who can be okay, but are on problematic teams. I think Lundqvist can do better than the 906 he's put up so far. 
but he's still not a goalie I would be excited to have on my fantasy team going forward as we see the Rangers rebuild change from being on the fly to off the rails. Yeah, not great so far, though there are a couple of bright spots that we'll get to in a second. Like also just the fact that Lungfist and Georgiev have each played six games, it means that they see them maybe as a tandem at this point. So yeah, I'm ready to let go of Lungfist unless your league is super deep for goalies. And I think I might just want Georgiev. It is interesting how you're saying that Lungfist is getting better or worse play in front of him, which is leading to him have worse numbers. But still, a 9.33 save percentage for Georgiev. He's got to be outperforming even the slightly better defensive play that he's getting. You know what I mean? Like, he's doing really well. This guy might be a good goalie. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, he might be a good goalie. I I would like them to see the same protection. I would love the Rangers to play for Lundqvist the way they play for Georgiev. Maybe they're too confident with him in net. Oh, yeah, well, they clearly shouldn't be. Uh, okay, uh, but yeah, like I said, there are some players that are doing well. So Mika Zibanejad, by the way, he was injured last week. Looks like it's not going to be long-term. He didn't play this week, but it, it, I've been reading that he might even play tomorrow. But in the meantime, Ryan Strom has been loving life on the top line and top power play with Panarin. His goal yesterday extended his points to six games, brought him to 11 points in 11 games on the season. What?! Keep in mind that Panarin and Zibanejad had already been split up before the Zibanejad injury. So it is possible that even with Zibanejad coming back, Ryan Strome might continue to center Artemi Panarin's line, especially since they've been doing so well. Plus, the Rangers have a beautiful Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday schedule next week with games against Ottawa, Detroit, Carolina, Florida. So three of those games should be ones where they could be able to score some goals. Uh, So for people who already have Ryan Strome, I guess people might want to know, like, long-term, do you think that he can hold on to this spot and actually stay worthwhile in fantasy for a decent amount of time? But either way, uh, you got to add him now, right, if he's available, just because of the great schedule and the fact that he's currently top-line, top-power play with Panarin. Those are exactly the two reasons that you should be going to get Ryan Strom on your team. I'm actually not surprised to have seen Zibanejad away from Panarin. We talked about the signs that we'd been seeing in New York, that they wanted more production throughout their top six, and that, uh, you know, this may be the only way to get it for Zibanejad and Panarin to not play together. I'm sure they will reunite at some point, uh, maybe before long, maybe in the next game. But in the meantime, especially with that schedule and playing with Panarin, as far as we know, go ahead and grab Ryan Strom, but I wouldn't get too attached. We're seeing plenty of markers of unsustainability in Strom's numbers and not enough signs of him doing anything new or amazing compared to previous years. I like him with Panarin, but I expect very little from Strom once he's separated from Artemi. Well, sure, but maybe he won't be, right? It's possible that they'll stick together. Uh, so, for, yeah, for now you want him, but I do agree with you. You don't want to invest too much just because things could change on a dime, as they have already many times this season. Like, they did uh, call up Philip Hedl, and he's been doing well on his line with Buchnevich and Kreider, and who knows now, like, that's another option that could go and switch and play on the top line. So, yeah, there's lots of ways the Rangers could go. Hedl scored a goal in each of his two games he's played so far, by the way. Three and four shots, uh, second power play. So, he's another guy that you could maybe have on your radar. Jesper Fast, by the way, has been the third piece on the line with Panarin and Strom. So there's another guy that you might want to consider. It's kind of like a Penguin situation where there's lots of players that you may be interested in. Though the difference is the Rangers, I love their schedule next week. Again, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday against like Ottawa, Detroit, teams like that. So you're going to get some goals probably out of these guys. Maybe I've jinxed it now that I've said it. Uh, One guy I definitely want to ask you about though is Anthony D'Angelo. He's stuck holding his top power play spot for the last couple of games. Nothing to show for it, but they did win uh, yesterday, so maybe that means that he's going to hold it a little longer. Got to imagine, especially again with this great schedule next week, you got to be looking at Anthony D'Angelo as at least a stream for now, and then you probably hold him for as long as he holds the top power play spot, right? 
Yeah, you should absolutely target Anthony D'Angelo in your league. I don't know how long he's going to be on the top unit. Uh, we have not much to go on. The top power play is one out of eight in two games played with him quarterbacking it. Uh, so, you know, big shrug for me on Anthony D'Angelo, not in terms of whether you should go get him now, just in terms of how much longer he's going to hold down that spot. I'd love to see Truba back up there running the show, but it seems like the Rangers want to try out like seven other things first. So let's see how long D'Angelo holds that spot while he's there. Yeah, put him on your team. Yeah, definitely get D'Angelo on your team and also get some ideas percolating for, is it too early, Brian? Christmas presents? I don't know. Like the time is coming. We're less than a couple months away. For those of you who are trying to think of gifts, you know what's a good gift? Freaking tickets to hockey games and things like that. That's what I love to get. And one place that you can get tickets are with our sponsor for this week, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. There are lots of places, of course, where you can buy tickets to things, but those are mainly for if you want to be annoyed and frustrated because it seems like these other ticketing sites, they make it difficult on purpose. Like you can't figure out what you want to find. There's weird fees going on. Uh, the real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? But we have an answer now because you have a site that cares and that is SeatGeek with millions of live events and a price match guarantee. SeatGeek proves there's a better way you could search sports, live music, comedy, everything. They have the tickets you're looking for all in one place. I love with the app, you can, or on the website, you know, you could sort. First of all, you could go to the city that you're interested in. You see just to browse the different cool events that are happening. You could then, once you pick an event, you sort the tickets by the price or by the value, like lots of different ways to find exactly what you want for a fair price that you're willing to pay, like I said. So yeah, definitely SeatGeek is the way to go to buy these tickets. Brian, we're next going to go and talk about the Vegas Gold Golden Knights, which is a place I'd love to go watch a hockey game in sometime. I haven't had the chance yet. Uh, I'm looking, and you can get some really good deals on SeatGeek. In fact, here are some games coming up in Vegas. Brian, why don't you try to guess which one would be the most expensive? They've got uh, November 17th, Calgary at Vegas. That's a Sunday. Then on the 19th, you've got Toronto at Vegas on a Tuesday. And then the next uh, game is San Jose at Vegas, a big, you know, rematch to that playoff matchup. Though, of course, right now, San Jose is not looking at quite the caliber as they were last year in the playoffs. But yeah, that's on the 21st on a Thursday. So Calgary at Vegas, Toronto at Vegas, or San Jose at Vegas. Which one do you think is the most expensive? Um, Toronto? Yeah. I guess that was an easy it's one, always right? A good, yeah, that's always good to bet on Toronto. Yeah, but still, we're talking like, this is cheaper than going to a game in Toronto, right? Like $110 I'm seeing to see the Leafs at Vegas. Uh, then it was 92 for the Sharks and 85 for Calgary. So yeah, these are the types of prices you can get. And if you think maybe, I don't know, 110 meh, maybe, but 100 that I could do. How could our listeners get that price? Our listeners can get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today. Use the promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first SeatGeek purchase. It's like a deal on top of a deal. Okay, so there you go. And like I said, I want to talk about Vegas. So let's go there because we've got another pair of returnees. Nate Schmidt and Alex Tuck both got back in the lineup this past week. Unfortunately, Alex Tuck scored a goal in his first game of the season versus Montreal on Thursday, but then left yesterday's game versus the Jets after a hit from Adam Lowry. So he might be going back on the shelf for a little longer. So that's very unfortunate. But Nate Schmidt... 
He's fine. He's healthy and looking real, real good in his first couple games back. He had one assist and five shots versus Montreal, then a goal, two shots, four blocks, two hits yesterday versus the Jets in a game where he led the team in ice time. Should people be rushing out to get Nate Schmidt ahead of Vegas's four-game slate next week? Got to assume he should at least be good for his 40-point pace from last year. I'm just assuming that. I guess you'll tell me whether that's true or not. But maybe even has upside for more on a team looking as good as Vegas. Like, this looks, well, I, I mean, not in terms of wins necessarily, but in terms of just goal scoring, you know, like, don't forget Mark Stone wasn't there all season. Like, I feel like this team might be able to score more goals, which could only be good news for Nate Schmidt. You can't always expect that point from Nate Schmidt, like that goal or that assist that he's had in the last two games since he's been back. But you can generally rely on Schmidt to do at least a modest job, if not better, of filling several categories with his shots, his blocks, and his hits. Schmidt is a great multi-category depth defense option who I'm sad I dropped in Kukupful when he came off the IR. I just felt like I didn't have room for him. Elon, should I have dropped P.K. Subban instead? (laughs) I mean, that's a really tough one. Like, probably Subban has more upside, but maybe a lower foot. No, like, I wouldn't have recommended dropping P.K. Subban. There must have been someone else. I've looked at your lineup, though. It looks pretty good. Uh, So, I don't know. I can't fault you too much. And you're still winning your week, right? So, it didn't matter that you lost these Nate Schmidt points? No, but maybe next week and the four Vegas games that you mentioned, it would be it'd be really nice to have him. I I wish I had the space. I also have Clefbaum. Maybe maybe I should (laughs) have dropped him. I don't know, Brian. It's, uh, uh, you have a good team. You're one of these people that we get tweets from. I get so frustrated. Not that I'm annoyed at them for tweeting us, but just like they're like, they show me their team and I'm so jealous. And they're like, who should I drop to pick up this hot player? And I'm like, oh, I, I can't recommend anyone. All those players are good and your free agents are good. And I wish I had your team because you're going to win some money. But okay, yeah, Brian, I don't know. But Nate Schmidt, for those of you who do have room, definitely take a look at him, especially for four games next week. Uh, then we have Shea Theodore. Do you think that Schmidt's return will affect Theodore like either positively or negatively? Like generally we look at defensemen as competition for each other in fantasy. I don't know if this is a mistake, but you know, like, oh, this guy might bump that guy from the power play or something. But I've been seeing takes, like one of uh, our listeners tweeted us saying that they think that Schmidt's presence will allow Theodore to take on a more offensive role. Like Theodore had to play more defensively because he didn't have other guys who could do it. Now Schmidt can do it. So, uh, you know, so far so good. Theodore finally picked up a power play assist yesterday after having gone pointless in eight games. Do you think that he'll be able to keep that run going? And will it help or hurt that Nate Schmidt is back? We talked about this last week, and my take hasn't changed since then. I think Shea Theodore has been really effective on the top power play, even though he doesn't have the points to show for it all season long. And I sure hope that Nate Schmidt does not threaten to take his spot. I don't think he should, but that doesn't mean he won't. But Theodore is, like, is above reproach, in my opinion, uh, from his play so far on the top power play. And yeah, I like the idea at five on five that Shea Theodore has less on his shoulders now that Nate Schmidt is there to take responsibility. But, uh, you know, Theodore has also legit been doing well at five on five without Schmidt. So I don't know how much of that take is a nice narrative that we'll be able to really say is true and happened because Theodore will finally get what's coming to him or, uh, you know, or not. But I, look, as a Theodore owner, I'm, I'm definitely ready for a run. So I'm ready to believe it happens for whatever reason it happens so long as it happens. Right. So you're not worried about Schmidt. It's, uh, it's going to be either good news one way or the other. By the way, can I drop something on you, Brian? Tell me if this is a take. Like maybe Vegas doesn't have a top power play. Like, yeah, the line with Glass, Pacioretty, Stasny, Stone, and Theodore played more minutes in the last game, but there still has been a decent number of minutes going to Riley Smith, Marsha So, William Carlson, Cody Eakin, and Nate Schmidt. 
So uh, we'll have to see, you know, we'll have to see more games with Schmidt back in the picture. But like Vegas is a pretty stacked team offensively. So they might be running closer to uh, PP1 and PP2 that get somewhat even time. That's what they've done in the past. So we'll have to wait and see. But either way, I'm sure Schmidt will still be fine. He's playing on a really great unit. So uh, I, don't, I don't mean to concern you. Yeah, it's almost like a false alarm to be talking about Schmidt and Theodore. Like, I don't think, yes, they're back. Like, Schmidt is back, and that might change things in Vegas, and we're looking at these power planes, but nothing has changed from what I would have thought about them a week or two weeks ago or even, like, four months ago as we looked at them both in the offseason. All right, so let's just move on. Another out jury here. David Krejci back in the fold for the Bruins after having missed five games with an upper body injury. He had a great return versus San Jose on Tuesday, but who doesn't score points versus San Jose, right? But yeah, he had one power play goal and one assist from his line two power play two spot. Uh, nothing yesterday, but another three shots and three blocks, which is always nice to get when your player isn't giving you points. They throw up some blocks for you like, oh, I wasn't expecting that, but okay. Uh, Krejci's got... Danton Heinen and Jake DeBrusque as his line mates at the moment. Only three points in seven games played overall on the season. So well off his pace from last year where he put up 73 points. So this is kind of like a Ryan Nugent Hopkins question for you, Brian. Like, do you think Krejci can put up more games like Tuesdays to start approaching his numbers from last year? Or do you expect him to fall back to maybe around the 55-point guy that he was for the previous two seasons? Unless, you know, the last year, I think a big reason why he got up to 73 was he benefited from some injuries to some of those top line stars and he got to play with some of those great players. If that doesn't happen, we're looking at Krejci as like closer to a 50-55 point guy, right? Exactly. I think Krejci is going to have some nights like he had in his uh, in his return where he had a goal and an assist from the second line and second power play. He can do it, uh, but he's not going to do it every night or even every week. And it's all going to add up to like a 55, 60 point pace. I actually, Elon projected Krejci at 63 points in the Almanac mm. after, as you mentioned, he paced for 74 points last year. But that was with this thing I hoped for, which was a big step forward for his line mate, Jake DeBrusque, which we have uh, yet to see. Jake DeBrusque has taken a small step back to begin the year, which is a shame because it is going to uh, take down Krejci's ceiling so long as it lasts and no one else gets injured. But yeah, uh, Krejci is still a really great fantasy own. In the last six years, he's paced for 70 points or more three times, and he's paced for 55 points roughly three times. So uh, yeah, pencil him in somewhere in that range, but probably the lower end given uh, that everyone in Boston's healthy and the line mate that we were counting on to, to be a really great partner in production jake debrusque has yet to get going yeah debrusque is such an odd one because he's on this top power play which which is one of like the best top power plays in the league but he barely gets in on any of those goals i think he scored a goal yesterday but like a lot of people did versus ottawa but like overall uh debrusque like isn't that exciting he was available actually for me in tier one sweden i actually put my bid on athanasiu for his like four games next week instead of getting debrusque's four games next week and then dave freaking betton who i outbid for athanasiu he got as his backup bid jake debrusque so i'll be very curious to see who ended up winning and losing that exchange. I don't know. There's just something about DeBrusque, and to be honest, Brian, even Krejci, that like just doesn't excite me that much. I just feel like whenever I see a Boston goal pop up on my watch or, or phone as a push notification, it's always got the names Pasternak, Marchand, Bergeron, or Tory Krug, and like nobody else. But uh, maybe that'll start to change as the season goes on. Those guys can carry every single goal all season long, right? They can't, and Krejci and DeBrusque should hopefully do their share before long, but I agree. It's really hard to buy in hard on any other Bruin because it feels like it's a an every-other-night kind of thing at best. 
Yeah, and uh, though there is another Bruin that you messaged me about earlier in the week. Charlie Coyle had two really weird games where he had six and seven shots in two straight games. I was like, wow, how is he going to be able to do it? Uh, then yesterday he went back to two shots. So I just wanted to throw it out there. Like, is Charlie Coyle still on your radar? Or is he, like, definitely not someone you even have on any of your watch lists? Because he plays on the third line with Chellerick and Bjork, and he normally doesn't shoot that much. I mean, he was on my radar just in that he did something uncharacteristic with those 13 goals or 13 shots over two games for Charlie Coyle, which I was happy to see from him. Uh, And in a week where Boston has a pretty good schedule coming up, that is the sort of thing that makes him a decent candidate to be streamed in deep league. But uh, you should definitely keep your expectations rightfully low for what he's going to manage to accomplish beyond hoping for another out of character run of shots on goal for Charlie Coyle. You could probably forget about him. We probably didn't even need to talk about him. Hey, Brian, if you text me during the week about a player, I'm throwing him down in the show notes and he's coming up on the show. So It was just like an eyebrow raise. I raised an eyebrow at it. Well, now everyone has seen your raised (laughs) eyebrow and I think it was worth talking about. I had a lot of fun, but we're going to move on now to the Buffalo Sabres. Brandon Montour finally played his first game of the season for the Sabres. Didn't go that great, offensively at least. The Sabres were shut out by Varlamov and the Islanders won nothing. So I guess you could say Montour probably played pretty well defensively since they only let in one goal. Uh, Montour was playing on a pairing with Rasmus Dahlin, didn't get power play time. Uh, two shots, two blocks, one hit. Uh, is he on your radar at all? I think I even saw that you added him in the cupful, correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe you dropped... Like, what, what's his status with Brandon Montour? Uh, only 35 points last year with Anaheim and Buffalo. At one point, we were expecting big things from him, much like actually Ryan Strom, who at one point we were expecting big things from and then totally disappeared. Um, yeah, like, uh, what do you think about Montour? Is he still someone with some upside, or are we probably not going to mention him again for the rest of the season? So Brandon Montour is a guy I drafted late in the cupful as a guy who I hope to see put up a nice floor of peripherals with some potential for points while he's playing a big role in Buffalo, bigger than he had in the past alongside Rasmus Dahlin on the top pairing. And then, yeah, he's injured to start the year and I actually added Nate Schmidt instead of him, who then promptly got injured too. Uh, but I guess we're talking about Montour now. So yeah, that's about what you can expect right? Uh, getting good deployment, playing on the top pair with Darlene, a uh, couple blocks, maybe some hit, uh, a hit here and there, maybe a couple shots here and there. Uh, you're looking at a floor of decent category filling with a point here or there. I don't know when you mentioned him in the same breath as Ryan Strom, if you're hinting at there being like some kind of huge untapped scoring upside. To be honest, if there is, I don't even know we'll see it. I don't think the opportunity is there. Maybe he can be the Jake Muzzin of Buffalo, but I, I'm not really sure he's up for that task. I don't even know that Jake Muzzin can continue being the Jake Muzzin of Toronto. You know, Buffalo has Darlene to generate offense from the back end, and I think Montour is going to be tasked with being the steady support guy, sort of like the Mark Mathot to an Eric Carlson in Ottawa. Uh, I know that's such a dated reference by now. It makes me so sad. But that's what I think you're looking at from Brandon Montour. Probably better than Mark Mathot was, though. Okay, so it sounds like you're saying you're not too into Brandon Montour aside from some peripherals, which means don't own him. Forget about this guy for now. Maybe one day Buffalo's going to trade Rasmus Ristolainen, and that might open up a spot maybe for some power play time. Ristolainen has been pretty bad lately, uh, pointless in five games, uh, five shots in that span. This guy used to be a big shooter. Now he only has five shots in his last five games. Seems like everything has changed since Rasmus Dahlin has come into the picture. Uh, like overall, five assists in 15 games on the season. He hits, sure, but is it time to consider Rasmus Ristolainen a snoozer? Like, do people need to start considering dropping him or selling him, hoping that they could get something for his name, especially like a banger? Like, people are like, oh, this guy's like a category filler. But really, yeah, he's filling hits. He's not even filling the shots. That's what's driving me the most crazy with him. 
His name value took critical damage last season when Darlene entered the picture and finally took over the top power play. And since then, Risto has not done much to regain any of that value loss. In fact, I think Ristolainen's value is, of course, lower than ever, which is what you're getting at. Ristolainen is seeing the lowest share of power play time in his career so far. He's third on the Buffalo decor in power play deployment behind Rasmus Dahlin and Colin Miller. So I think that's where some of these missing shots have disappeared too, because Risto's five-on-five numbers have actually been pretty steady, though we'll see if his role there sinks a bit with Brandon Montour's return. Uh, so enjoy the hits from Rasmus Ristolainen, maybe a couple shots per game, but he's certainly not an automatic own the way he once was, even at times last year. You could try and throw him in in a deal as a sweetener if you own him before dropping him, but if you can't do that, uh, he might not be doing a whole lot for your fantasy team. Consider the fact that Ristolainen might be snoozing. Damn, and you might be snoozing if you have him, especially Buffalo. Rough schedule next week. They only play Friday, Saturday. So you're going to have this guy on your bench, not even playing all the way till Friday. So yeah, might be time to consider dropping him. Obviously, depends who's available. You could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson, uh, and we will try to give you advice if you want to ask if you should drop like Ristolainen for this guy or that guy. Uh, another player that I got to ask you, Brian, is this guy maybe a snoozer? Uh, what are we doing with Victor Olafson at this point? He had that amazing start. He was called Golofsson. I was bragging so much about how I added him in the couple for whatever it was, 12 $13 of fab dollars. Now I kind of wish I had the fab. I, I don't know. like Because again, now Buffalo doesn't play till Friday and he's going to be a tough hold for me. He's pointless in three games. Only two assists in his last seven games. Also taking many fewer shots than he was at the start of the season. No shots yesterday in a game where he was bumped from the top line for Jimmy VC. So that's not good. I guess luckily for Olafson. Uh, Vladimir Sabatka is pretty terrible, so there was an open line two spot for him to play with Johansson and Skinner. Not that it helped him or the Sabres, which means maybe come next Friday, Olafson's back on the top line since they couldn't score any goals with him off that line. I don't know what's going on. All I know is that Victor Olafson is not as exciting as he once was, and I'm curious if maybe the secret is out. Maybe other teams are figuring out how to suppress his great shot, and maybe he's not going to be the hot, like, must-own fantasy asset that we were thinking he could be, you know, just a couple weeks ago. The honeymoon with Victor Olofsson is definitely over. Saw a season-low 14 minutes on Saturday versus the Islanders, fewer than 10 of which came at 5-on-5, also a season-low there, or... It was close to a season low, if not a season low. Lots more misses than hits lately in Olofsson's scoring lines. Just not doing a whole lot of anything in any consistent way. I wonder if he's now closer to, like, Dominic Simone territory than, I guess, like, he was approaching Elias Lindholm territory with that start, right? But I don't even know if I'd prefer him to Simone, except I think the Sabres do. This is what we're seeing at the start of the year. He he still has a great pedigree, uh, still crushed the AHL, The Sabres still need him somewhere in their top six. So I'm hoping there's more opportunity for him down the road. It could be like a really weird buy low opportunity if someone does drop him or like is offering him for nothing. Uh, But if you missed your sell high window, sorry about that. It'll never be that way again. Oh, well, I definitely did. So that's a bummer. I should have tried to trade him as soon as he was doing well in the couple. So lesson learned for me. I guess I'm always the one who gets excited about these hot new players and I don't want to give them up. But hey, anyone listening who's in tier one Sweden, I don't think I'm going to drop him. So if you think that he could bounce back, send me a trade offer. I'll probably trade him for close to nothing, I guess. Uh, so let's switch to injuries now. Here is a bummer. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, we talked about his injury last week, but we were living in a fantasy land where it wasn't a huge thing. Maybe he'd even be back by this week. The next day, we learned that Tank was going to need shoulder surgery, would be out until the basically the end of the regular season. Ugh. 
terrible news for Tarasenko owners who was having that great start to the season. Oh, well. So uh, first of all, kudos to the Blues, who extended their winning streak to four games yesterday with a 4-3 win over the Wild. They're now 9-3-3 on the season. So maybe they can get by even without Tarasenko, though these past four wins were against Minnesota twice, Columbus, and Detroit. So it might get a little harder versus the Red Hot Canucks on Tuesday. That should be a fun game to watch. We've already seen the Blues playing with different options for Shannon Schwartz to play with. Uh, Robert Thomas was there and Sammy Blay took turns there yesterday versus the Wild. Blay actually scored a goal in the third yesterday after having been bumped to a line with Bozak and Steen. Uh, Thomas also got a point yesterday, but not from that line. It was in overtime on Ryan O'Reilly's game-winning goal in the extra frame. Uh, do you think either of these guys, Robert Thomas or Sammy Blay, are worth a speculative ad at this point? Or will you need to see someone hold the spot and produce before you're ready to buy in? I think... They're both on roughly equal standing in trying to gain a foothold in the top six. It's, you know, there's a spot now available to Blay and Thomas with the Tarasenko injury. Uh, you know, you've got Blay, who is at least going to hit, even if he doesn't score. And then you've got Robert Thomas, who was supposed to take a step forward this year, hasn't really even had the opportunity to yet, which maybe speaks to the fact that his coaches didn't think he had taken the step forward necessary to be part of the team's core scoring plan. It's a great opportunity for both of these guys. I think they have an equal chance of taking advantage of it. I don't know if I would speculatively add either one unless you've just got random adds to spare and it's not going to cost you anything. It can't hurt, right, if you happen to hit on one. Also, Elon, I know how crushed you were about the Tarasenko injury as as was evidenced in that tweet heard around the world about you basically wanting to do other things with your life than fantasy hockey. I'm wondering if you could just break down that moment from learning about the injury to tweeting that out. Where were you? How did you find out? <laughs> well, I mean, I was at work. And I was actually talking to my co I didn't know you were going to ask me this. I was talking to my coworker, Cam. And then at some point, I just like, you know, I don't know, like my eyes drifted. I happened to see like, a, I don't remember exactly, but I know I found out. And he definitely noticed that my mood like sunk. <laughs> and he was like, what's going on? I was like, it's stupid. But I think I'm like screwed in my fantasy hockey season. <laughs> and and uh, I showed him and he was like, oh, sorry, man. And like, he was nice, but he obviously doesn't care. He's like, all right, look, can we get back to work now? So uh, anyways, I don't know. I won my matchup this week in the couple. So maybe I, I maybe I'm like living in La La Land like the Blues maybe where they had some easy wins and now they think they can like move forward uh, I might be in for a world of hurt uh, I've added Andreas Athanasiu so I don't know maybe he can make up for the loss of Tarasenko ah <sighs> Not great. But, uh, you know, I don't want to complain. Some people have it worse, like owners of, like, Landeskog and Rantanen, because we talked about the Rantanen injury last week, and now Gabriel Landeskog is going to be out longer than week to week, apparently, with a lower body injury. So sucks for Colorado, and definitely sucks for anyone who got the stack. You know, some people like to draft and get a couple players on a line to enjoy the production when both get a point. Like, here's one problem with it, though. Obviously, this is just randomness. But, uh, yeah, losing Landeskog and Rantanen, not great for anyone. So, uh, now we already talked about the Rantanen impact last week. Like I said, it's a whole new landscape now. Like, last week we were talking about, oh, who's going to play on the top line with Landeskog McKinnon. Now, in the last game... I don't know. These lines are all over the place, actually, in Colorado. Uh, like, Kadri was up on the top line for a bit, but in yesterday's 3-0 shutout loss to Camper and the Coyotes, we ended with McKinnon, Nieto, and Donskoy. Kadri with Comfer and Jost. Uh, Burakovsky with Pierre-Edouard Bellamare and Matt Calvert. Uh, the top power play was McKinnon, Kadri, Donskoy, Burakovsky, and Sam Girard. Actually, so Gerard, not Makar. So that's kind of weird, but I don't even want to talk about that again. We've already done that for the last couple of episodes. Um, really, you know, all over the place. Really hard to predict what's going to happen. So we've got these players we've been talking about. Donskoy, Burakovsky. Um, 
The other player I want to ask you about, though, before you get into those guys, if you even want to again, how about Nathan McKinnon? Like, should we start to be worried about him? He finally had his first pointless game of the season yesterday since Colorado got shut out. Camper's just too good. He's the only one that could stop McKinnon, I guess. Uh, are you worried about McKinnon at all in the short term? Like, he's currently at a 105-point pace on the air. He's had an amazing start. Do you think it'll be higher or lower than 100 by the time one of his linemates return? Oh, that's a really... Hard question. It would be positively heroic for Nathan McKinnon to keep above an 100-point pace while Rantanen and Landeskog are out. There are only a few guys in the league who could, maybe not even a few. Sidney Crosby could pull it off. Uh, Connor McDavid could pull it off. But is that all? Like, if there is a third guy to enter that group of players who can lose their two world-class line mates, have them replaced with barely top six players, and still pays for 100 points, it would be Nathan McKinnon. I guess we'll find out soon. Uh, how great is it for the Avs now that they added Nazem Kadri? Can I, He's not even playing with McKinnon necessarily, but holy cow, just decimated. It doesn't happen too often that your team is just crushed the way the Avs have been by injuries so far. Uh, and you look at the rest of the team, Donskoy, not really a top-line player. I don't think the Avs have a third top-line caliber player available to play with McKinnon. Uh, so he's going to have to carry a line on his own with Ranton and Landeskog out, and it may be a little ugly, but yeah, he's absolutely a guy who could potentially figure out a way to do it all on his own, but it won't be easy. Yeah, definitely not. And are you into any of these like Donskoy, Burakovsky? Like, they're going to be playing on and off with McKinnon on, at even strength and on the power play. You could come up with worse streamers, of course. Like anyone playing with a great player like McKinnon has the chance to get points. But I can't imagine you're going to say that you're interested in either of them as like a long-term hold now that one of these guys are out. Like I'm not excited to rush to add. Like I was excited about Donskoy if he was going to be playing with McKinnon and Landeskog and also on the top power play. Now, I don't know. I'm not, not so much. He'll be fine, but nothing too exciting to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I want McKinnon's line mates, which could be literally anyone. Donskoy, Burkowski, Kadri are the guys who could make the best use of playing with McKinnon. It'd be nice if they landed on the top line and did some damage there. But yes, Matt Nieto is one of the guys lately, and I have barely a passing interest in him. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I'm always curious when like big injuries happen like that. How does that affect the uh, like the betting lines on games? Because you know the Colorado's a good team. Like they had a good start to the season, and now maybe you need to start expecting them to lose some games. Maybe you could take advantage of this knowledge, and maybe you see like, oh, Matt Nieto, he's going to be on the top line. Okay, Colorado's definitely not going to win. So maybe you'll want to place a bet on the Avs opponent, or maybe if their odds become too low, maybe you want to be like, nah, I th- I'm sure Grubauer and you know McKinnon will carry them. So if you want to place a bet on the game, I would definitely recommend checking out our other sponsor for this week's episode which are our friends at my bookie between the football season the nba nhl there's lots to bet on so you know time to get off the sidelines get in on the action there's always plenty to bet on and always cash to be won even just with hockey, there's like a lot of fun things. I noticed that for today, there were player props available where you could bet on like, will John Gibson have over or under 28 and a half saves or like how many shots on goal will Adam Henrique have? Like, okay, Brian, let's like even do what, do you know currently the score in the Blackhawks uh, Anaheim Ducks game? Or Two you, nothing, Blackhawks. Oh, I was going to hope that you didn't. But okay, <laughs> even with that bet, what would you say for uh, John Gibson? Do you think he's going to have above or under 28 and a half saves? Above. Okay, so how's it looking right now? Right now, well, Gibson's not even playing. Oh, oh. That, that's an easy bet then. I wonder how that works out if that changes. <laughs> maybe, maybe I haven't refreshed the page. But there's fun stuff like that <laughs> over on my bookie all the time. So yeah, check it out. And plus, 
My bookie's even offering for our listeners a double deposit bonus. So you put in 50 bucks, you've got $100 to play with. Where else can you find a deal like that? You just have to use promo code Keeping Carlson to activate your offer. That's promo code Keeping Carlson to double your cash. Just visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Ideally. And, uh, you know, if you want some information on gambling and doing it responsibly, a few good sources. You can check out there's the Responsible Gambling Council. There's the Canada Safety Council. Uh, there's the National Council. A lot of councils. National Council on Problem Gambling are three great resources to uh, check into about gambling addiction and how to do it responsibly. Indeed, Brian. So, okay, now that we talked about Colorado and how they're dealing with their problems, one of the problems definitely yesterday was Darcy Kemper, who shut them out in a 3 nothing win. We've got to talk about this Coyotes team. They are firing on all cylinders right now. First of all, Darcy freaking Kemper is now 6-3 and three with a 942 save percentage through nine games. Antti Ranta, he's healthy. He's been, like, okay, 914 save percentage through the four games he's played. Man, Brian, do I wish I just drafted Kemper this season? Didn't listen to all of your pro-Ranta talk. I wish that you were more anti-Ranta, so I would have been able to get Darcy Kemper, who was one of my MVPs last year in fantasy, but then we were all wondering, oh, can he do it again, and Ranta's such a big threat. Would it be too hard to take right now to just predict Kemper as a Vesna nominee this season? I think he can do it. Uh, you know, I, I can't say no. It would be a heck of a story for Kemper to do it. You look at the leading goaltenders right now who've played at least 300 minutes this year. There have been 33 of them. Kemper ranks fourth in five-on-five save percentage. The guys ahead of him, Rask, Grubauer, and Rene. So you can consider them the other early Vesna candidates. Varlamov, by the way, just behind Darcy Kemper, and Thomas Grice barely behind him. Wow. Uh, but Kemper... Also continuing to see fantastic defense in front of him. Arizona is allowing the fifth fewest uh, number of expected goals against per 60 minutes. And uh, Kemper himself is fifth in expected goals uh, saved above average per 60 minutes, which incorporates both, you know, his actual save percentage and what it should be considering his workload. So yeah, Darcy Kemper looking like a real deal this year for sure. Great guy to have drafted. If I'm sold on him by now, I can't imagine there's anyone out there who isn't. Yeah, and now watch him, you know, start to blow up because that's how goalies tend to go. But I'm, I have a lot of faith in Darcy Kemper, so congrats to anyone who drafted him. If you didn't, I don't know what you can do because the price is probably high if you want to acquire him at this point. Uh, so then Coyotes, by the way, finally a team that's scoring some goals, which means we have a lot of players to talk about. I'd love to get a little ranking here now that they've thrown some new lines at us. We saw Keller... Kessel and Stepan all on different lines in yesterday's win. Uh, so it was Phil Kessel playing with Barrett Hayton and Christian Dvorak, and then Keller with Schmaltz and Connor Garland, and then Stepan down in the bottom six with like Hinnestroza and Grabner. So maybe we should get, like I said, get a little ranking going, especially with the Coyotes playing four games next week Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. A lot of these players should be available in people's free agent pools going to next week. And I don't really have any idea who to go after aside from Kessel and Keller who are probably already owned in a lot of leagues but I should mention Phil Kessel finally woken up big time after a slow start he had a goal and an assist yesterday he's up to nine points in 13 games on the season which is a 57 point pace do you think he can even get this up even higher is the question I'd be curious to know your answer to but I think I'll still first go through some of these other players like Clayton Keller an assist yesterday started strong uh, only one point in four games before yesterday so he's you know not been great not been terrible but aside from those two yeah here are some of the options to potentially add. You have Nick Schmaltz, also an assist yesterday. 
12 points in 13 games overall. Holy smokes. What a season for Schmaltz. His line mate, Connor Garland. We need to start taking this guy seriously, I think. Another goal yesterday, up to 9 points in his last 11 games. Very curious to see where you're going to rank him as someone who seems to be pretty reliable, both for points and shots, which is always nice. You've got Christian Dvorak, who, like I said, is now centering Phil Kessel. He scored yesterday, which unfortunately did break a four-game pointless streak. But I do love even strength and power play deployment with Kessel because he's also been on the top power play. Then we have this guy, Barrett Hayton, 2018 fifth overall pick. He had been scratched for a few games, but he's now played four in a row, centering the top line, already four points in six games on the season. So it seems like when he gets in the lineup, he's getting good deployment and he's producing. Then I guess Derek Stepan, just a lot of Z's. I'm not into this. He's, he's on the top power play, but he's pointless in six. And as soon as he got off the line with Kessel, I was like, goodbye. So yeah, what's your ranking of all of these Coyotes? And I guess overall, you could say if you're interested in any of them. Like, you know, you might rank them all, then be like, nah, but I'm not interested. But I can't imagine that's going to be the case. I'm a little interested in Phil Kessel. Uh, just so you know, a <laughs> uh, hot tip. Uh, you know, he's only shooting 4% at 5-on-5 this year compared to 10% most other years. Some of it is because his shots have not been quite as dangerous as before, but uh, a decent chunk of it is also bad luck. I think also uh, the team shooting percentage with him on the ice at 5-on-5 is less than 4%. So uh, Kessel snake bitten that way too. And this is where I might say, you know, Arizona focuses, they're very defense first team. They're not very offensive, but they're actually showing some offense that we didn't know they could while still playing so well defensively. The Coyotes are a top 10 team in the NHL at five on five in shot attempt rates and expected goals rates, but they rank 26th in actual goals scored rates because their shots just ain't going in. All the Coyotes look a little more fangless. Do Coyotes have fangs? Toothless? Canines-less? Anyway, they look a little more harmless than they should because of this uh, unfair on-ice shooting percentage for the whole team. So that bodes well for Kessel and the rest of the group. Elon, you had Kessel for 68 points in our almanac. I projected him at 66. Would you change your projection at this point? Would you make it higher, lower, or keep it? I think it's good. I think I did a good job. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. No, I think I think between us, we averaged 67 points. It still seems like a fair expectation for Phil Kessel the rest of the way. Clayton Keller, you mentioned he had one point in his last four games. That's not good. But I like that he's been averaging nearly three shots per game over the last couple of weeks. Some good signs of life there. Nick Schmaltz. Nick Schmaltz is a weirdo, right? Like, he's always doing things that I can't really tell if they're going to continue. And one weird part about Schmaltz this year, I just finished talking about how Arizona is like being offensively threatening, but the whole team is having crummy shooting percentages while they're on the ice. Well, Nick Schmaltz is the one guy with an unsustainably high on ice shooting percentage in Arizona somehow, uh, but he's seeing less than half the team's t- power play time, barely one shot per game. It's a miracle. Schmaltz, the weirdo, has 12 points in 13 games. So he's looking like a sell high candidate to me. Connor Garland is definitely an interesting one. He's scoring at three and a half times his expected goals rates, and that's also reflected in his shooting percentage. But he's done this before, and you really do wonder if Garland has an extra gear to keep at least some of this production up. I thought that last year when he had a nice little run, uh, and then he ended the season with 18 points in 47 games and was not terribly threatening from the moment I endorsed him onward. So I'm being careful about it, but Garland does have 13 shots in his last three games, despite seeing low time on ice, so at least he'll help you there. Christian Dvorak seeing rising time on ice, a rising power play role. So those are the the Coles notes on all the Coyotes forwards. If I were to rank them, 
Uh, okay, well, Kessel's first, obviously, then Keller, and then it's a, a very horizontal landscape. I still like Kristen Dvorak a fair bit. Then I'll go Nick Schmaltz because, you know, even if you don't think he should be scoring, he might. And then Connor Garland, then Barrett Hayton, and then Derek Stepan, who probably doesn't deserve to be last, but is being penalized because he's just been such a letdown for so much of the last couple of years. I'd rather take a flyer on Hayton or Garland first. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you. I think I like your list. I wonder if I'd even have Connor Garland ahead of Nick Schmaltz just because I'm a sucker for shots on goal and he yeah. seems to be a better source for them. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, there you go, everyone. Options. If you want to stream in a Coyote, you've got uh, your pick and then we'll see how that goes next week. Hopefully at least some of them will hit. Do we get to take credit if like three of these guys do well and then two of them do nothing? We'd be like, oh, you're welcome, everyone, for our great Coyotes projections. Y- yes. Okay. Always. Also, I think I tried to say projections and then changed to predictions. I said predictions. So maybe that could be a new Keeping Carlson word that we can make happen so it doesn't have to sound like I just made a mistake. Uh, so who do I want to talk about next? Oh, yeah, we're in injuries. Yeah, Victor Hedman. Is that, wait, why are we talking about Arizona? Oh, right, because the Colorado guys got injured and then Kemper uh, shut them out. Yeah, I know what I'm doing here. Okay, so Hedman is injured. He's on the IR with a lower body injury. Can you believe the Lightning are now 6-5-2? and two? I mean, can you believe this in a bad way, right? They lost to the Islanders on Friday. <laughs> they wouldn't even be in the playoffs if they started today. I wonder what their cup odds are at this point. Actually, that would be another th- good thing to look at at my bookie. Um, so Hedman's out. Mikhail Sergachev has seen a huge uptick in his ice time and power play time with Hedman out. He played 24 minutes and 6 seconds in the last game, had a 68.3% share of power play time. Nothing to show for it, though, aside from three shots, two hits, two blocks. So yeah, good peripherals. He was minus two, though, if your league counts that. Only two assists though, in his last eight games for Sergachev after a hot start to the season. I guess with Hedman out, you've got to hold on. But at the same time, I'm curious to know, Brian, like, who would you prefer to own between Sergachev and his teammate Kevin Shattenkirk? Shats had an assist and six shots versus the Islanders. He's up to 10 points in 13 games on the season. I would have thought for sure Sergachev is the number two defenseman to own in Tampa going into the season. But I wonder if Shattenkirk might actually be better. What are your thoughts on these two guys at this point? I am really big on Mikhail Sergachev with Victor Hedman out. He played 24 minutes in the Tampa's last game. That's the second time in his career he's done that. The first time wasn't that long ago, just in March of this past season uh, before this one. So I'm really excited to see what Sergachev can do with the role that he's stepping into. All indications are that Sergachev can crush this. I'm not worried about him being relatively cold recently. He's going to see huge minutes, or at least... I think he will. A huge power play role, and he's got huge talent. So I need Sergachev on my roster if I can have him. As for Shattenkirk, what an impressive start for someone who was essentially left for dead, both in hockey and in fantasy, but hopefully not by his family or anything. Six shots is really impressive in his last game for Shattenkirk, too. That's the fifth time in 13 games that Shattenkirk has put four or more shots on net, which is pretty valuable coming from a defensive spot. Like, if that's all he does for your roster, that's still pretty good. Like, that's worth rostering as a fourth, fifth, or sixth D-man, depending on your league. But Shattenkirk does not, unfortunately, seem to be in line for much of a promotion with Hedman out of the lineup. And I don't see a whole lot of sustainability beneath Shattenkirk's 10 points in 13 games either. I think Shattenkirk may... Like, the nicest thing I can say is that he may be a better bet for 40 points than we thought going into the year, but I wouldn't want to mark him as being any better than that. I still have him not even getting to 40 points, but it's been it's been really nice to see. I, I, I like the idea that he's resurrected his career successfully. I hope he can keep it up to some extent for the rest of the season, keep this momentum, get himself a nice little contract for next year too. 
Yeah, I don't know. I might even take Shattenkirk over Sergachev, to be honest. Like, what? yeah, maybe in the short term, uh, Sergachev is in a good spot on the top power play. But once Hedman comes back, he's not out super long term. And I think that uh, Sergachev has he's been disappointing so far. You gave some reasons why you think he'll do better. So we'll see. I don't know. Like, Sergachev has just kind of disappointed us for a few years now. So at some point, you just have to maybe expect that he's not going to be more than a 40-point guy. And Shattenkirk has shown that he does have the capability. Like, a few years ago, he was like an elite guy. He's obviously not who he was before, but he's doing really great right now. At some point, you got to let the numbers speak for themselves but it's probably too early now to make that switch. So I'm not going to pull a full Elon here and just go by what's happened in the first month of the season. But these guys are on watch. One for good reasons and one for not so good reasons. Uh, Michael Furland is injured right now for the Canucks. He's in concussion protocol. He got hurt in a fight with Kyle Clifford on Wednesday. And Brian, fun fact, I just learned recently that my friend Marissa is good friends, or at least was at one point, good friends with Kyle Clifford's wife. Get him on the show. Well, he's busy right now injuring Michael Furland, but maybe in the offseason we could try to make something happen. Uh, anyway, the Canucks definitely not missing Furland as they made easy work of the Sharks yesterday to bring their record to 9-3-2. and two. This team is amazing. We had a question on our Facebook group today asking if they're the best team in the Pacific Division. Like, it's tough. Like, you know, they're doing better than Vegas right now. I still have Vegas, but Vancouver, damn, this is a team that people need to watch. Elias Pettersson already up to 20 points in 14 games after his two goals yesterday. Brian, I projected 85 for him in the Almanac, which was a little higher than you. Now I'm worried that I may have been, like, way too low. This guy's on pace to break 100, and I don't see why he can't do it. Okay, I'll let you answer. I'll I'll give a couple more fun numbers on some other of these superstar players. Brock Besser up to 16 points in 14 games. Horvat started the season slow with only one assist in five, but has totally made up for it. He's now up to 13 points in 14 games from his second line, centering Tanner Pearson and Adam Gaudet. Doesn't matter. Horvat still gets a lot of points, a lot of them on the power play, of course. JT Miller up to 15 points in 14 games on the season, over a point per game. Maybe he's going to be this season's Elias Lindholm to Pedersen investors, Monahan and Gaudreau. Just like such a great situation for Miller, and he's totally taking advantage. Uh, Brian. I don't know. What, what do you make of this team? I don't even have a question for you, really, about any of these great players. It's how for real is all of this? Uh, it's, well, it's for real, okay? I'm not going to make you wait. I wanted to talk about Pedersen first, and you asking if your projection of 85 in the Almanac is going to turn out to be way too low. It's definitely not going to be too high. I am the one who went lower than that. What did I say? 82 points or something? I just gave him a point per game. Uh regretting that a little bit now. I wish I at least joined you at 85. Though Pedersen is benefiting from his line mates shooting success. Both Brock Besser and JT Miller are shooting around 20%. So is Peterson himself. But for him, it may be sustainable for his two line mates. It probably is not. But Vancouver as a whole, uh, Canucks fans, take a moment, take a deep breath, and savor this. At 5-on-5, Vancouver is 4th in shot attempts per 60 minutes, 2nd in goals per 60 minutes, 4th in expected goals per 60 minutes, 4th in scoring chances per 60 minutes, 5th in high danger chances per 60 minutes, top 5 in every offensive metric. This is no illusion. Vancouver is one of the biggest offensive threats in the whole league this year at 5-on-5, and it is awesome. If I have any concern about any of these Canucks continuing what they've done so far, it's what I already mentioned about Brock Besser and JT Miller shooting a little hot at five on five, but the whole team really just looks outstanding so far. I have nothing to really 
picket here. I'm not looking to sell anyone high if I own Canucks players unless you're getting a, a market upgrade. I traded Brock Besser, actually, uh, earlier this week. I traded Besser and Stasny for Jack Hughes and Mitch Marner. I couldn't pass up a chance to, to add Mitch Marner to my Kukupful team. Uh, so, like, I saw the difference between Besser and Marner worthwhile, but that's the sort of player that I think you're trying to use Besser to get if you are looking to deal him. I could see JT Miller fetching a decent return. If you own him, uh, you might want to shop him around a bit, but don't trip over yourself to lose these guys before they run cold because they are legit threatening night in, night out. They're a great line. Uh, Hold on tight. Unless, of course, you can get a 70-point player for JT Miller. Yeah, if you could get Mitch Marner for JT Miller, then fine. But yeah, I really love his situation. And I wouldn't be expecting much less than what Elias Lindholm did last year. You know, it's kind of even similar in a lot of ways. Like, remember Lindholm, we didn't know if it was going to be him or James Neal playing on the top line. This year was also the same, right? We didn't know if it was going to be Miller or Furland being on the top line. And again, we have a clear winner and a clear loser. And right now, JT Miller riding high. I didn't even mention a couple other players. Quinn Hughes, he's injured, but he should be back on Tuesday. He had a run of seven assists in five games before the game that he got hurt. All of his points on the power play. So he's definitely benefiting from getting up there full time. This Markstrom Demko goalie duo. Like, Brian, you've been talking about how great they are offensively. How about the fact that they may have one of the best goalie tandems in the league? The way these, these guys have been putting up numbers. So yeah, just a great situation for Vancouver. Must be fun time to be a Canucks fan for the first time in, in a while. So good for them. Uh, one more injury. I actually haven't talked about it. He's been injured for a while. Andre Kasha hurt for the Ducks. I added him from free agency to stash in one of my leagues, hoping he'll come back. Hopefully get to play with the red hot Ryan Getzlaff, who I believe has an assist today. Yeah, he assisted on a Sam Steele goal, which I didn't even know he was playing with Sam Steele. So there you go. So obviously the lines are shaking up. Yeah, Getzlaff riding now a five-game point streak. He had a four-game goal streak going into today. Slow start to the season, but he's scorching right now. Curious to know what your thoughts are on Ryan Getzlaff. Like, he had 61 points in 58 games a couple seasons ago, but then last year was a bit of a train wreck. Maybe we thought that this guy might start to be over. Should we maybe just consider, though, last season, 2018-19, as an outlier and consider Getzlaff back at the star status he was at before? Or do you think this is just a nice run and we should expect him to go cold again soon? Well, I could get really smug about this and say that's exactly what I said about Ryan Getzlaff in the offseason, that he's still a star and he's just going to bounce back. No problem now that the Ducks have, you know, coach and a system and a little more depth with which to work. But I'm going to be honest, I'm I'm not going to go the easy route and be smug about it. I I don't think I was right. It's hard to see Getzlaff returning to the star status that he'd had for over a decade when he's seeing his lowest ice time since his sophomore season all the way back in 2006-2007. He's playing under 18 minutes a night and seeing just half of his team's available power play minutes on one of those two evenly distributed power plays. And Getzlaff's success this season has also been thanks in part to a 20% shooting percentage which is not characteristic of him, usually scores on half as many of his shots on goal. The picture for Getzlaff is a little better if you just focus on his most recent games, uh, where he has seen a little more minutes and obviously a little more points, but I don't think it's enough to get him back above 80 points or even 70 points, really, when Getzlaff doesn't have that big power play role to cash in with. In the past, 70 points has been his ceiling, and I think even that's a titch generous given the rest of, of the dip in Getzlaff's deployment. So I think if you own him, you're hoping for 65 points, but it might be safer to expect 60, which is funny because it's something I'm going to say later in the show about Eric Stahl. But if I had to choose between the two, it'd be a really 
easy choice for Getzlaff. Like for him, I guess that's where I think his floor is. For Stahl, it might be closer to his ceiling. Interesting. Okay, well, hey, maybe your opinion will change when Andre Kasha's back. Maybe he'll help propel Getzlaff to at least stay with what he's doing now. I'm surprised you're saying it. I feel like in the offseason, you weren't so super high on Getzlaff. Did you actually have a really high projection? And I'm forgetting. I thought you were saying that it's possible that maybe the youth are going to sort of push him down. He might not be used in as offensive of a role as he used to be. But either way, looking good now, and you're saying that it's not going to last. Yeah, we were definitely concerned that... There would be Sam Steele taking first line duties and that gets left would be put into a death roll. And I'm looking at our almanac projections and we did both put him at 65 points. So yeah, maybe I didn't. Uh, maybe I just tried to be really great by saying I would say I'm really great about something <laughs> I never said. It was a really, really roundabout way of making myself seem like a good person. And it failed. You called me on it. Yeah, like, well, when you started saying, you know, I could be really smug and say that uh, I called this, I thought you were going to follow that up with saying, but I can't because I didn't. But no, you were like, I did, but I don't think it's going to last. So either way, uh, it's very interesting. I'm definitely going to be following what's going on on the Ducks. And clearly the lines are already shifting around because he was playing with like Max Comtois recently and he's not playing with Getzlaff today. So we'll see what happens. There's going to be some players coming back, specifically Andre Kasha, and then we'll see some new lines. And hopefully this can keep going for Getzlaff and some other players. All right, so that's our injuries and outjury section. Let's switch over now to some hot and cold streaks. I want to start in New Jersey for two straight weeks, Brian. We've been recommending people add Sammy Vatnin, who's been running the Devils' top power play for around six games now. So I'm not going to bug you about Vatnin again. I'll just point out five points in the last five games. So you're welcome to anyone who took our advice. I took your advice, Elon. I don't know if it was our advice. I'm going to give you credit for it. I owned him this week in the cupful, and he did, uh, he did really well for me. He had 14 points in our format. He was my leading defenseman ahead of Clefbaum and Giordano. So thank you. Well, Brian, you're welcome. And everyone, yeah, you're welcome. Sammy Vatnin, clearly someone you want to be holding. Maybe he's going to be holding this top power play spot for a little while. And actually, there's another guy on that top power play who we haven't talked about yet in Wayne Simmons, who's on a great roll right now. He's got a goal and four assists in his last three games. Two of those points have come on the power play. Along with the recent point production, Simmons is averaging over three shots per game, throwing two to four hits each time out. The guy's only 31% owned in Yahoo. He's been so bad for a couple of years. And I think people forgot that Simmons used to be one of the guys you really want to own in bangers leagues. And I wonder if now he's starting to approach that status again. Like, yeah, even strength, he's playing with Kevin Rooney and Miles Wood, which isn't too great. But the results have got to speak for themselves at some point, right? And the guy's shooting. He's hitting. He's getting points on the power play. What's not to like about Wayne Simmons? There's nothing not to like about Wayne Simmons. I guess his five-on-five setup with Rooney and Wood isn't great, but hey, he shoots the puck anyway. He's on the top power play, and he hits. Simmons was due, right? I also added him for this week and enjoyed his points. He was pointless in eight games before this run he started, but during those 20 days of nothing, Simmons was still averaging three and a half shots per game, almost always on the top power play unit. Now that Simmons has scored one goal on his 37 shots, he still should be due for more than he's gotten so far in his next 37 shots, so I'm pretty happy about that. Simmons could be a Josh Anderson type in New Jersey, which is funny because I think one time we said that Josh Anderson could be a Wayne Simmons type. Uh, I just wish that Wayne Simmons could jump into the top six, but hey, you can't have it all. And Simmons is still making himself a worthwhile fantasy own from just the top nine. 
Yeah, like we've already been talking about some players to potentially add or drop. Like if you have Victor Olafson and you're in a bangers league, how could you not just drop him for Wayne Simmons right now? Like, I don't know. That would be tough for me not mm. to do because you get the shots, you get the hits, the power play points. Olafson not doing anything and has that bad schedule next week. So that's the kind of Simmons is the kind of guy that I'm really looking hard at if I have a slumping player. You know, we have some other slumping players that we are not planning on talking about. You know, like Timo Meyer comes to mind, but he's he's shooting. So I don't know. I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but Simmons is someone I'm very interested in since he's not owned in a lot of leagues and he's getting really good deployment like I didn't expect that top power play for him uh an interesting situation in net right now for New Jersey Mackenzie Blackwood got both games of the back-to-back on Friday and Saturday versus Philly and Carolina he hasn't been great he has a sub 900 save percentage but clearly John Hines didn't have faith to go back to Corey Schneider yesterday Schneider was absolutely brutal in the 7-6 loss to Tampa on Wednesday that must be such a bummer to get your team scoring six goals and still not be able to get a win not to say it was all Schneider's fault but Schneider was pretty terrible I think it was like a 700 and something save percentage on the game so yeah they decided to just go Blackwood back to back though to add to the intrigue the Devils acquired Louis Demang from the Lightning last week in a trade so now they have another option if they want to send someone down and Brian right after the trade I saw you tweeted saying you thought Blackwood could be the guy to get sent down to get some AHL time but based on what we saw this weekend perhaps it's Schneider who is getting primed to be sent to the minors maybe he's the first one to get the hook if they decide to give Demang a chance to continue his winning ways in the NHL after his 20 one and five record last season yeah blackwood it's really funny that he got both starts on that back-to-back the first one he was just 903 the second one 889 and you wonder if that is gonna be enough like you said elon schneider has been worse uh to be fair blackwood has actually received Actually, I don't know if this is to be fair or not, but Blackwood, believe it or not, has received some of the best protection in the NHL this year from his defense. He has one of the lowest expected goal rates, and that is all credit to the team in front of him. Uh, Sadly, Blackwood is also the fourth biggest underperformer relative to his expected goals against, with only Jonathan Quick, Bobrovsky, and Martin Jones beneath him amongst goalies who have played 300 or more five-on-five minutes. In short, Mackenzie Blackwood uh, doing the Devin Dubnik from 1819, where your team is doing everything they can for you, and you're still finding a way to F it up anyway. Corey Schneider has actually received worse support than Blackwood, but has also underperformed harder than Blackwood, too. Ranks dead last in expected goals above average uh, rates by a mile amongst 51 goalies who have played 200 or more minutes. So it would seem that New Jersey plays better with Blackwood for whatever reason. And although he's been underwhelming, he's been less catastrophic than Corey Schneider. Elon, here's a question for you, though, uh, that I meant to read up on before the episode. Sorry, a a moment where I'm unprepared. Do you know what the implications are of sending Corey Schneider to the AHL? Like, is that a real thing that the Devils can do? I mean, I don't know. the. Don't you just put the guy on... Like, from what I know, you put the guy on waivers. Another team could claim him. No one obviously would because he has a big contract. And then he's in the minors. Like, uh, I don't know. Isn't that how it works? He gets paid. It's a one-way contract. He's going to still get paid his NHL salary. But he'll be in the minors. And uh, he's... Yeah, I don't know. Is there something else that you were thinking that might mean that they can't send him down? No, like, he he doesn't have a no-movement clause. He just has a no-trade clause. It just feels like it would be hard to send a $6 million goalie down to the AHL. Like, I guess he signed his contract. Uh, like, NMCs became a thing when teams learned to bury uh, their high-salary players in the minors. Uh, but it uh, looks like that might be an option for the Devils. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not sure, regardless of what goalie from New Jersey is sent down, or if any goalie is sent down to make room for Louis Domingue, uh, I don't know what to make 
of him. I don't know exactly what Domingue has to offer New Jersey. He also underperformed his expected goals against with Tampa last year, though only by about the amount that Henrik Lundqvist is underperforming his expected goals against so far this year, which is a relatively forgivable number compared to the atrocity of Corey Schneider and the sub-mediocrity of Mackenzie Blackwood. Domingue went 21-5, and as you mentioned, while putting up a near-league average save percentage with Tampa last season. But Twenty-one and five. Any other team in front of Demang last year would not have offered him that record. Made it look as good, uh, but you might as well try him, right? And if New Jersey is protecting Mackenzie Blackwood well, maybe Demang could get the same treatment and at least perform better than Blackwood has. So keep a close eye. You wonder if the Devils are just a goalie away from being a reasonable threat to win on any given night. But right now they're feeling like the Carolina Hurricanes, where no matter who they throw in net and no matter how well they protect him. It's a mess. Wait, you're talking about the old Carolina Hurricanes, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the Scott Darling and before Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, the Cam Ward Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, keep in mind also, like, Louis Domingue hasn't even been called up yet. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Maybe they just want to have another option in case they finally do at some point make the decision to send someone down. So I was just speculating a little bit there. But who knows? Maybe a future Binnington in our midst, Louis Domingue. So keep your eye on him because, yeah, so far the Devils haven't been getting great goaltending. Though, hey, they won that game yesterday with Mackenzie Blackwood getting two games in a row. So maybe they're going to ride him for a little while. The main lesson here is I'm not interested at all in, in Corey Schneider. You could probably drop him in pretty much all formats, uh, in my opinion. Wow, what a huge turn, right? Remember how we, we really thought there was a redemption story to play out for Corey Schneider at the start of the year. He's healthy. He's ready. He had such a strong 17 games to finish last season. And uh, here you are, ready to drop him. Yeah, sad. But... You know, it was sort of like going into the year, we thought maybe he had, you know, had a good end of last season, and there was word that maybe he had been struggling all this time because of some injuries stuff that was now over with. But yeah, it might be Devil's fault, but obviously Corey Schneider, uh, he's not, you know, standing on his head. You know, like Robin Leonard, who we'll get to in a little bit, he's doing well on Chicago, even though the team doesn't help him out so much. And yeah, Corey Schneider definitely not doing the same. Uh, But before we get to Leonard, I wanted to go next to a player that's kind of like a Simmons or a Schneider, someone who may or may not be over the hill. What are you making of Eric Stahl's resurgence over in Minnesota. He started the season with only one assist in seven games, but since then, Stahl has gone on an amazing run. He has four goals and five assists in his last seven games. He's been playing with Zuccarello and Zucker lately. All three are on nice runs at the moment. Do you think the three of these guys can keep this up? At one point, we were saying that maybe there's like no one on Minnesota worth owning. Now this whole line is pretty exciting, and definitely Eric Stahl, the most among them, in my opinion, maybe you'll say Jason Zucker, but uh, Stahl only 22% owned in Yahoo. Zuccarello, 15%. Uh, what, what are you making of this? Is Stahl going to keep this up, or is this a run that's going to go back to being cold like he was at the start of the year? We thought Eric Stahl would still be good, right? And if we predicted it, do we really have to explain it? Like, he was seeing garbage percentages, then he didn't. Although I'm not wholesale sold on what Eric Stahl has done lately. After scoring zero times on his first 14 shots, he's now scored four times on his last 13 shots, which actually all adds up together to be an unsustainable conversion rate for him. His IPP is also at 91%, which is way more elite a number than we can justify him having. I think Stahl can still pays for 60 points the rest of the way, but that may be a ceiling rather than a good projection, especially given that he's only averaging two shots per game and seeing 90 fewer seconds of ice time per game compared to last year. And then we look at uh, Zuccarello and Zucker. Similar stories to Eric Stahl of seeing big cuts to their ice and doing fewer of the things we'd like to see from them. For Pete's sake, Matt Zuccarello has just 
12 shots in 10 games? What? And Zucker, who is known for being a big-time shooter, averaged nearly three shots per game over the last two seasons, has only three shots in his last four games and below two shots per game on the season for Zucker and no power play time for him either? I I can't even really advise buying low on these guys, even with this recent production, unless you're really getting them for peanuts, like as a trade throw-in or something. I really do believe in Stahl, Zuccarello, and Zucker, but I'm just not seeing them in circumstances for success yet. It's still very weird in Minnesota. Another thing that's very weird is I still don't think we know how to pronounce. Is it Jason Zucker or Zucker? Now you're saying Zucker. I feel like at one it's point someone Zucker. told us... It, it rhymes with Snooker. Okay, good. So we, we've got that settled. I just don't want anyone to get mad at us. Also, good job with Sammy Blay back there. You'd been saying Blaze for so long because it's so fun to say, but I'm pretty sure it's Blay. Uh, there is a guy on Minnesota that I'd actually like to just not talk about again. So if you could just give me permission, can we be done with Zach Parise? Like, yeah, he had an assist yesterday, but he's only up to four points in 14 games on the year. You were such a big Parise booster going into the season that I feel like it needs to be you closing the book on him or telling us that you think you still believe in him. So what's your take right now? Is Parise still going to bounce back or can I just not talk about him again until he does something worth talking about i'm having nightmares recurring nightmares about saying three dollar zach parisi a hundred times on our live auction podcast for the tier one of good cupful uh but uh you know parisi has been shooting more lately but still occasional goose eggs in the shots on goal column has a falling power play role like what the heck has the ghost of paul fenton inhabited bruce boudreau like come back for revenge i have no idea what's going on in minnesota especially because it's the same coach as last year who saw parisi and stall and has seen zucker succeed I don't know what's going on and why it's happening. I mean, there is also some hard luck to the Parisi story. A 2.6% on-ice shooting percentage, which should usually be between 8 and 9%, as our regular listeners know. And Parisi also has a sub-50% IPP compared to the 65-70% we'd expect there. Uh, but yes, Elon, in a lot of leagues, Parisi could rightfully be considered a snoozer. I own him in the cupful, and I am not obviously closing the book on him yet i'm holding on but for the first time this season elon i have my my hands on like the back of the book like to 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 flip clothes like my hand is sliding between the book and table and i'm thinking about it out of curiosity how many defensemen do you have on your team right now well i have five but six including montour who is ineligible in my injured reserve Okay, yeah, because I was thinking, like, maybe uh, Parisi was the guy you should have dropped instead of Nate Schmidt, uh, and I kind of think that might be the case, but you love Parisi so much, so let, I'll be, I'm not going to ask about it again, but please, like, share with us when you do finally decide to, or sorry, if slash when you decide <laughs> to finally drop him, I'll be curious to know when that moment is, because that will probably be a nice turning point in the uh, podcast. I also dropped Kim Fowler before Zach Parisi, but you can't argue with that one. I guess not as much, for sure. Okay, uh, and since we're on these types of guys, it's also time to give up on Dustin Brown, I think. Uh, sure, he had two assists yesterday versus Chicago, which obviously makes it harder to recommend this, but I still am going to do it. Those were his first points in nine games, and the main reason that people might not realize is Dustin Brown has been split up with Andre Kopitar at even strength. Brown has been playing with Alex Ayafalo and Adrian Campe recently. Still on the top power play, but like, come on, super blah. Obviously, you like his hits, but I don't know if we can recommend for people to hold on to Brown. He was cold for so long. I expect him to be cold again. To be honest, I'm not really into anyone on LA except for Andre Kopitar, who has been playing with Jeff Carter and Carl Grundstrom, or at least that was the line in yesterday's 4-3 win over Chicago. Carter's been okay. 
But still, yeah, like I said, I'm kind of ready to say, drop all your kings except for Kopitar and Doughty, and that includes the goalies. Uh, there you go. I actually looked at the uh, Frozen Tools main page. They list all of the teams, and you could see their hot and cold players for each team. And under LA, it just says hot players, colon, none. So there you go. That's the LA Kings in a nutshell. Even though they won yesterday, so I shouldn't be too hard on them. The common sense is that Dowdy and Kopitar, and then sometimes Dustin Brown, and maybe sometimes Jeff Carter and Tyler Toffoli in LA. But there's only two guys who you must own in LA. Uh, but this might, I don't know, should this change anything that if I told you that LA has been one of the league's top offensive teams this season, they're one of the best at shots per game, they're averaging, averaging, this is from Ben Burnett, by the way, of average time on ice, at 40 shots per game, and then I can take that a step further, they're not just throwing garbage on net to get all these shots each game. They lead the league in five-on-five expected goals rates, which is just wild. They're also leading in the league by a legit head in five-on-five scoring chances per 60 minutes, yet the Kings, with all these offensive accolades, somehow only mid-pack in actual goals scored per 60. So it could be fun to see if the Kings can bring up that actual goals ranking instead of the other, all the expected goals and threat level stuff falling down, I would expect that the actual goals would follow the expected goals, though. So, like, the the, the hard thing to do here is to say, LA is looking offensively threatening, so should we be dropping Dustin Brown? Like, who's actually going to benefit from this? Toffoli, Kyle Clifford, uh, Marissa's friend's husband, uh, Jeff Carter, Dustin Brown, Alex Iafalo, Trevor Lewis? Like, these guys are not players who should be doing well offensively, yet they're on a team that it seems to be greater than the sum of its parts. So just keep your mind open to the possibility that these guys might cash in on whatever the heck is happening for the Kings right now. I think Dustin Brown should be doing better. I've dropped him in one of my leagues, he has, but he has a low IPP, a low shooting percentage himself. I think he's going to be worth owning again before long, and I think you're not going to want to let him go. But I think right now you can drop him in an under-the-radar kind of way. It's like I see all that's happening in L.A. and how great they're doing offensively, but and I'm trying very hard to believe it. But I'm I'm still not there yet. Okay, so if anyone listening still owns Dustin Brown, how about drop him, but keep him on your watch list. And yeah, also, if he gets back with Kopitar... I'm willing to, you know, go with him because I think that's a good spot to be. But, you know, for the first time in a long time, he's off that line. So it's hard to expect too much. Uh, But Brian gives some reasons to maybe expect that he'll do a little better in the future. I actually want to talk also about another Brown who's actually doing a lot better. And that's Connor Brown on the Ottawa Senators. Connor Brown is currently riding a five-game point streak after his goal versus the Bruins yesterday. He's up to 11 points in 12 games on the season. Yes, I'm talking about Connor Brown, that guy who was on the Leafs last year and was on a good line sometimes but still didn't do anything anyways yeah Connor Brown 11 points in 12 games how is he doing this he played on a line with Peugeot and Nick Paul yesterday he is getting top power play time but he has no power play points on the season so he's doing all this I guess at even strength I didn't check to see if there were any shorthanded points by the way Uh, but is there any possible chance that Connor Brown can keep this up like Ottawa again like a lot of these other teams we've talked about they have a pretty sweet schedule next week Monday Tuesday Thursday Saturday so he could make for a nice pickup if you'll be able to fit him in your lineup on those busy days what's your take on connor brown uh well i can clarify he has no shorthanded points so uh here i'm actually going to refer back to that list i quoted about an hour ago of the top 
five-on-five scorers in the league this year, as you might recall. Uh, check your memory. Elon, do you remember who's first? Oh, I actually do know. I know. It was Brad Marchand. Okay, and then? Oh, at some point... I told we... you the top four. Let's see if you can name them. <laughs> I do recall Nick Benino was on the list, because that's who we were talking about when you brought it up. Okay. Uh, then, uh, yeah, so Marchand, David Pasternak, Elias Pedersen, Nick Benino. That's the top four. And then you've got Leon Dreisaitl next in five-on-five points scored per 60 minutes. Then Jonathan Huberdeau. And then, very naturally, Connor freaking Brown. This is another, like, this is very, he's like the individual player uh, that's an- analogous to the LA Kings. I see it. Can I believe it? Connor Brown has this track record of producing with elite performers before. He he produced with Connor McDavid in junior. Uh, he took turns with... Austin Matthews and John Tavares in his time in Toronto, but he's never really had opportunity outside of that. Uh, so it's nice to see him get it in Ottawa where there aren't elite performers, but there is a whole lot of opportunity. Right now, Connor Brown is seeing an 80% IPP. His teammates are scoring on 13% of their five on five shots, which is probably four or 5% too many. Uh, but like, it's still impressive what Connor Brown is doing as a member of the Ottawa Senators. His current production isn't going to last, but he could hold relevance through the year if he keeps up just enough of it. So with Elon, you said Ottawa has a good schedule this week. I'd hold on. Yeah, well, hold on. I mean, that, that's assuming someone has him. I think it's more about <laughs> you're saying that people should add him. Though, would they add him over Anthony Duclair? I don't know, because Duclair has been absolutely thriving in a better spot in the lineup. You'd think top line, top power play with Brady Kachuk. And he's got four goals and one assist in his last four games. 19 shots in that span. Brian, I'm going to give you some kudos here. You said last week, so I brought up the Sens, and I was like, they only play Saturday in the upcoming weeks. So you probably want to drop all your Sens that aren't Kachuk or Shabbat. And then you were like, okay, maybe drop them, but keep your eye on them, especially. I think you did call out Anthony Duclair, and yeah, now Ottawa has a good schedule next week. He's held his uh, good deployment, and he's producing, and I love the shots on goal. So come on, Duclair, higher than Connor Brown, right? Yeah, sure. More shots for Duclair, more power play time, too. And by the way, while you're complimenting me, I said keep Duclair not far from your team, like at least on your watch list, and also Brown, but I was talking about Logan Brown. But if you misheard me, uh, you'd be really thanking me right now. So many Browns. Yeah, okay, so what's your official Brown ranking at the moment? <laughs> I'm going to go Dustin, Connor, Logan. Logan's injured. Okay, that's sad. And Jeff way down. Jeff, Jeff is one of the retired Browns, right? There was a Jeff Brown. Oh, I don't even Cleveland remember. way at the bottom. There you go, a Jeff Brown call out. Look at him. I bet he wasn't expecting that. So, Brian, here's a really random former Ottawa senator on a good run right now. Derek Brassard has scored in five straight games for, if you're a listener right now, I'll bet you half the listeners don't even know what team I'm about to say, but it's the New York <laughs> Islanders. What? I wonder how many listeners, like I said, even knew that Brassard was on the Islanders. And, like, again, I'm saying he's scored in five straight games. He's playing on the second line with Brock Nelson and Anthony Bavillier. Is there anything here, Brian? Is it possible that Broussard can gain fantasy relevance again this season? His last big season was in 2015-16 when he had 58 points for the Rangers. He was also on a good run on the Sens in 2017-18 before he got traded to the Penguins, where he completely tanked. Uh, He then played on Pittsburgh, Florida, and Colorado last year. Was a complete non-factor. I guess he's finally found a home on the Islanders. Do you think that he can keep this run up? Like, I'm not saying that he's going to, you know, pace for a goal every game moving forward, but is he someone that should be on people's radars and maybe even on people's fantasy rosters. No, I don't think so. Derek Broussard is pacing for 44 points. 
with this current run. And I think that's a fair expectation. Look, he's with Brock Nelson and Anthony Beauvillier. There's no big score on that line. And Broussard is not the big scorer himself. Five goals on 14 shots, so that's not sustainable. And Broussard only had 10 shots in eight games going into this little run, so Broussard has not turned over a new leaf here or anything. We're not going to count on him for production. Okay, so we could pass on him. Also, it'll be interesting to see what happens if and when Jordan Eberle finally returns. Maybe Broussard gets bumped from the top six. Uh, by the way, though, don't sleep on the Islanders' top line. Barzal, Lee, Bailey, all three are on track for nice bounce-back seasons so far compared to what they did last year. I guess it's time for me to admit that my nemesis, Josh Bailey, is probably worth owning in a lot of formats. Like It's very hard to argue with 11 points in 13 games, plus top-line, top-power play deployment. If you recall last year, Brian, I dropped Bailey once he got dropped from the top power play, and it frustrated me, and then you told me that it was a mistake, and then for a while it turned out you were right, and then in the end I felt like I got the last laugh. But anyway, Bailey now is getting good deployment. He's getting points. Some more shots would also be nice. Nice, but still, yeah, he's good. You probably want him if he's somehow in your free agent list. And also, what are you making of Johnny Boychuk's run of six assists in seven games that ended yesterday in the one nothing win over Buffalo? Like, Boychuk is already great for peripherals, but he hasn't paced for over 30 points since 2014-15. He's currently up to seven points in 12 games. Any chance this is for real for Johnny Boychuk? Mm, no. Like, he does this, right? This is what makes him kind of a valuable own. Johnny Bochuk, it does a pretty good job of putting up a nice floor of peripherals. He's kind of like what Brandon, we talked about Brandon Montour earlier, what we'd like Brandon Montour to be, except Bochuk is really reliable with those shots on goal, even though he never scores on them. Uh, it's nice to know that he's going to fill at least one category, probably get you some blocks too. Uh, so, but the, the production obviously is not going to last. Josh Bailey, uh, just going back to him as your nemesis, a great nemesis quality is that he's really boring. Like, he can do these great things, but there's still so much to hate about him. Bailey has only four shots in his last six games and five goals on 13 shots on the season, which is just god-awful. What a terrible way to score goals. That's Derek Brassard-type goal scoring right there. But of course... Josh Bailey still has relevance with his deployment, but my goodness, is he a boring guy to own on nights when he doesn't get an assist because the goals, the shots, or anything else, uh, nothing can be relied upon to come with any regularity aside from a whole bunch of assists spread out through the year. Yeah, and power play assist. So there you go. That's two categories that he can contribute to. Uh, Okay, so clearly, though, the Islanders are not missing Robin Leonard, as their tandem of Varlamov and Grice have been phenomenal, as I think you referenced earlier in the show. Brian, maybe we were too hard on the Islanders for how they handled that situation. We're like, what were they thinking? They let Leonard go just to sign Varlamov? I mean, so far, you can't really argue with the results, right? They're both doing great. They're both being, uh, they're both not quite getting that classic New York Islanders protection that we said, you know, Varlamov's going to the Islanders. They're going to protect him really well. And they actually, him, they're protecting well. Thomas Grice is more like getting league average protection. They're both playing pretty much exactly as how, how you would expect an average goalie to play in their minutes, um, which is, Great for Varlamov, good for him. Kind of a disappointment from Thomas Grice. But yeah, the Islanders know how to play defense. They know how to protect their goalies, and their goalies are not blowing it. So uh, way to go. I mean, Thomas Grice has been pretty great for me on my cupful team. I'm definitely not going to call him a disappointment. I'm very happy to have him whenever he plays, which is pretty much half the time. Well, I'm just saying 
Usually he performs above what would be expected from an average NHL goalie with the same workload. Uh, he hasn't done that this year, which uh, is why it's disappointing. But it's just because he set such a high bar for himself. I think we're also nitpicking. I think the Islanders have just like also made it hard to overperform it because they set such a high mark, you know? Like, so yeah. it gets tricky when you have these high numbers. And I think Grice is, is doing just fine. But okay, like how much better could he be doing? What's the save percentage? I don't even have it up. Isn't it like 920 or like 930? But he anyway. is the eighth highest five on five save percentage in the league it's 938 yeah so what do you want from him to get shutouts every game i want him to do even just a little better okay sure uh (laughs) anyway all that to say that uh robin leonard though is doing fine on his own he's looking really good in chicago he's sporting a 938 save percentage through seven games actually going into today only two wins though actually it looks like it might go to three wins today there's a minute don't jinx it don't jinx it. Okay, yeah, it's 2-1 Chicago right now, but another great game for Leonard so far. He's stopped 24 of 25 shots. Gotta just be a matter of time before he is finally anointed as the undisputed number one goalie on the Blackhawks, right? Like, Corey Crawford, another rough game yesterday in the loss to LA, led in four goals on 44 shots. Crawford now has an 892 save percentage in six games. I feel like Leonard has shown us, like last year he was nominated for the Vesna. He's clearly, to me, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, to me it's like obvious that Leonard is the better goalie at this point in time. Actually, a lot of parallels between Leonard and Kemper, eh? Like both had promising starts to their careers, floundered for a bit, and are now establishing themselves as two of the most reliable netminders in the league. Uh, but now we're talking about Robin Leonard, and yeah, do you concur with me that he's going to be the guy getting the most games for the Blackhawks moving forward? If not, then they're dumb. Because they're not they're not going to win as many games if they play Crawford instead of Leonard, in my opinion. I don't remember Kemper having such a great start to his career. Oh, you're wrong. Remember, you were so into him on Minnesota. I remember yeah, that. Had, I, that's why you hated Kemper for so long, <laughs> is because he let you down because you thought he was going to continue to be good on Minnesota. Yeah, but he was still like a below average goalie. Right. And he didn't have a whole bunch of. I know this isn't what you wanted to talk about, but he didn't. He was a sixth round pick. Robin Lehner had like a huge blue chip pedigree. That's not what right? I said, though. I said both had promising starts to their <laughs> careers, and you're like talking okay. about who had the better pedigree. Well, you're trying to weave together their story. I, I, I'm not not seeing the same story because Kemper hasn't been tried as a number one his whole career and not been able to grasp it because of whatever person like okay fine I'll give it to you this isn't this isn't the conversation you wanted what I you just wanted like to, to make analogies I thought people like my analogies but Brian it was always really, them it was a nice analogy I'm it has sorry. to be like perfect it has to be like they're both named Robin L and they both have played <laughs> on the same team and then you'll let me have it and they both have dogs named Lucy okay uh okay so what was, oh, right, Robin Lehner versus Corey Crawford. Would you believe, Elon? Well, you mentioned Corey Crawford having a disappointing game. Uh, first off, he faced 44 shots. He stopped 40 of them. That's a 909 save percentage. It's decent. Uh, I think it actually rounds, oh, no, it's 909. Um, he also stopped 30 consecutive shots at one point after having to leave the game for concussion protocol. So Corey Crawford, still a top 15 goalie this season in five-on-five save percentage amongst goalies who've played at least 250 minutes. He's just ahead of Petr Mrazek. He's just behind Ilya Samsonov. Uh, but Robin Lehner, of course, is better. Robin Lehner is tied with Thomas Grice in five-on-five save percentage and is just having himself the year that we hoped he would, right? So uh, so way to go, Robin Lehner. He's also outperforming his expected goals. Like, he's saving more goals above average per 60 minutes than Corey Crawford is. I feel like we are definitely finding ourselves, we're wiggling ourselves into a 1A, 1B scenario. But I don't think that the Blackhawks will ever 
totally cast off Corey Crawford into a number two position. But Robin Lehner, as long as he's hot, uh, he's going to get these starts. So uh, I think he's still a free agent in some leagues. He shouldn't be because he can put up really good numbers in a really hard workload. You know he's going to face a lot of shots. Uh, so long as he gets, I want him to see two thirds of the starts the rest of the way. That might be a bit high for an expectation, but it'd be nice. Yeah, I think that he should get two-thirds of the starts, but you're right. Like, who knows what Chicago's thinking? But I think if they want to take a run at this, and I know they've had a tough start to the season, but uh, Leonard is the answer, I think, or part of the answer. Another person that they might think is part of the answer is Adam Boakvist, who was recently called up. He was a 2018 eighth overall pick as a defenseman. He played yesterday while Eric Gustafsson was healthy scratched. And then today, uh, Boakvist still in the lineup. Gustafsson as well. Uh, So Boakvist scored a goal, I'm seeing, assisted by Taves and Nylander. And I'm looking at the power play minutes. That's what I'm most curious about. Bokefist, two minutes and seven seconds. Gustafsson, only one minute. Actually, Duncan Keith, two minutes and 44 seconds. So I'm not sure about Bokefist yet. I don't know if you have any sense with him. He Maybe he's also someone who could get sent down to the minors, or maybe he'll stay up. I know that Kirby Dak was called up, and he may stay with the team, so who knows what they're going to do with Bokefist. All of this to say... I think I'm over Eric Gustafsson, right? Like, now that he was healthy scratched, now doesn't look like he's getting top power play deployment. Maybe it's Duncan Keith or maybe it's Adam Boakvist. At least for now, probably it's time that people could let go. Maybe it was like two weeks ago, but we were saying, no, hold on to Gustafsson. He's still on the top power play, but it's looking like the Blackhawks are starting to explore other options. So hard to be uh, still hanging on to Eric Gustafsson at this point. It's a little hard, I think I still would, though. We don't know that Bokefist is going to stay. I think the whole team is struggling, and Gustafsson took a bit more of the hit than he should have, although, of course, I'm sure the coach had his reasons for healthy scratching Gustafsson. I think right now what the Blackhawks want is something, anything, like a spark. We saw a four-rookie power play unit go out uh, in their last game and scored in 17 seconds on their only on the only shot they took. And it looks, it sounds, Elon, like, uh, I don't know, you have the box score in front of you. You can tell me if they tried a similar thing again. But Bokvist, uh, I guess they want to give him a shot. He wasn't really setting the AHL on fire. I don't think much had changed since they sent him down, since they cut him from camp. I think they just are looking for a spark. And so we'll see if Bokvist can do that long enough and that Gustafson continues not offering it himself uh, to justify keeping him up for the rest of the season or at least another short while. Uh, I don't have a great read on it yet, though. I've been trying to find out. I don't know if Bokvist is sticking around. And I don't think he is the solution to Chicago's problems. So uh, there's a big mess that Chicago is trying to sort out and attribute blame here and a solution there. But, uh, you know, I obviously am grasping at things to say. Bokvist makes a nice ad so long as he is doing stuff. How about like- that? I mean, I'm just going to kind of disagree. Like, yeah, maybe Bokefist isn't the answer, quote-unquote. I'm not, like, trying to go that far. I'm just saying that maybe uh, Eric Gustafsson is on his way out as being the... Like, he's someone we weren't even expecting to be the top power play defenseman going into last year. And yeah, yeah. he blew us all away. Now maybe Bokefist is going to blow us all away. Or maybe just no one will. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think I'm done with Gustafsson. If you want to hold on a little longer, be my guest. Uh, we'll talk about a guy who you held on to for a long time in... Shane Gosses Beher uh, in a little bit, and I'm ready to give up on him. And it sounds like we'll find out if you're also ready to give up on him. Uh, and Gustafsson, I'm currently ready. Maybe you're not yet. Uh, by the way, this all-rookie power play was interesting, though they did get a goal. I'm sure owners of Debrinket and Patrick Kane are happy that it was a Debrinket power play goal today, assisted by Kane and Dominic Kubalik. So 
I don't know. We'll have to see how things shake out over in Chicago over the next week. It's going to be really interesting to watch, by the way. Uh, it wasn't a minute left. It was a minute into the period, and Anaheim has scored, so it's now 2-2. So maybe I did jinx. You jinxed it! Robin Leonard, sorry about that. Nick Ritchie uh, from Steel and Fowler on the power play. Uh, let's keep going here. I guess we've got to wrap this up at some point. There's so many players I want to ask you about. Uh, Joel Armia on Montreal, another one of these guys in the vein of Brassard or Connor Brown, who I wasn't expecting anything from going into the season. But how can we not talk about Joel Armia, who's playing on a line with Druin and Domi, getting great power play deployment and making the most of it. He has nine points in 12 games, 30 shots, 33 hits, maybe another Wayne Simmons on our hands. Do you think that Joel Armia is worth a look in Bangers Leagues while he holds this great deployment and is producing? Yeah, for exactly the reasons you mentioned. It's very interesting to see the Habs finally put Domi and Druin together. They seemed reluctant to do it for a long time, but uh, Armia is the beneficiary of them doing it. Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi uh, might have been another option to put with Duran and Domi, but uh, Armia seems to have won the job. They probably love his grit over in Montreal. He has scored six times on 30 shots for a 20% shooting percentage, uh, but three of those goals, three of those six goals have come on the power play. So good for Joel Armia, um, but uh, his, his scoring success isn't going to last. Don't Try and think you can rely on it. His team is scoring on 17% of the shots they're taking, so twice as many as they should be while he's on the ice at five on five. So uh, just, you know, you can probably expect some shots to keep coming, some hits to keep coming, but uh, be wary of the points. Okay, yeah, but still, if you're playing with Druin and Domi, there's still going to be points. Maybe not like at a pace he's putting up now, but just because Brian says he's not going to keep up what he's doing doesn't mean he's going to disappear. Yeah. I feel like Brian, is, like sometimes it comes off as a little bit like all or nothing, but this guy could still put up like a 45-point pace yeah. with decent hits and, and shots, and that's pretty good. Yeah, maybe he can be like a Blake Coleman type from last year. Maybe. So yeah, that, a lot of people were really excited about Blake Coleman for long stretches. Uh, here's one more random deeper league consideration. How about Brian Little in Winnipeg? He has five points in six games since he started his season on October 20th. He's centering a line with Line A in Ehlers, uh, which we've thought would be really great for a couple years now, but he wasn't able to get many points. Now this year it's working out for him. So who knows, right? Like I don't even know if you could give an answer as to whether Brian Little's worth adding or it's going to last, but definitely like he's in a good spot. He used to be good at putting up points. He's playing with good players so you never know. Uh, also, just FYI, Josh Morrissey is back, Q being the top power play in Winnipeg. So uh, last week, you know, we were talking about how Neil Pionk had taken that spot. So hopefully we didn't scare anyone into dropping Morrissey. He's back. Not to say that that Pionk uh, isn't also doing well. Uh, he's still doing okay, but I would definitely want everyone to know that Morrissey is Q being the top power play. It's a very good thing to know. Okay, and uh, a less random player is Andrei Svechnikov, who, Brian, I think he's really, really good. Did you see that lacrosse goal that he scored where he picked up the puck from behind the net? And sco- I wonder how many times he's going to be able to get away with that. Can I give a hot take that I don't, I don't, I don't love seeing lacrosse goals. I like the first one was amazing. The second or third I saw was pretty cool. And I was just like, all right, way to go. You did the thing. Like to me, it's it's as exciting as a wrist shot at this point. Okay, wait, so are you saying you don't want it to be legal, or are you just saying that you don't want, like, sports stations to, like, broadcast them in their replay packages? <laughs> I just, Yeah, I just don't think it's, like, an awe-inducing moment. I am much more awe-induced by Matthew Kachuk's overtime winner. That was incredible. Yeah, for sure. But okay, Svechnikov riding a four-game point streak with five goals and two assists in that span. The lines were shaken up recently, so Svechnikov is playing with Aho. Definitely seems to be working. By the way, Aho three goals and four assists in his last five games, so that buy-low window sure closed fast. Brian, but I want to talk about Svechnikov. 
How for real is this guy? He's got 15 points in 14 games now. How high do you think he's going to end up when it's all said and done? Can he keep up point per game? Are you seeing him as a, like at least a 70-point guy? Could he hit 75? Like I know you're always the one who like you're, you don't want to buy in on young players too quickly, so I'm really curious to get a sense of where you're at with Svechnikov and where you think he's going to end the season. I'm totally bought in on Andrei Sveshnikov. I'm really excited about this season he's having so far. Uh, let's just go back, though, and remember how hot and cold he's been. Elon, did you do it? Did you detail? Like, he had nothing in his first game, then four multi-point games, then he had five pointless games, then three multi-point games, followed by his first single-point game of the season in game number 14. So Svechnikov, uh, given feast or famine to his owners, but it has somehow all added up to an 88-point pace, and to be honest, looking pretty good under the hood. I I don't see a whole lot to pick apart. Uh, he's not seeing a ton of minutes. It's pretty rare to be a point per game player if you're only seeing 16 minutes a night, which is what he's averaged this year. And in his most recent game, he only played 14 and a half. So it's not like it's rising. If anything, it's fallen since the first seven games of the season. Uh, but the difference for Svechnikov this year is definitely coming on the power play where he already has six points, which is one point more than how many power play points he had in all 82 games last year. Uh, so he's getting some extra time there and not just extra time, but extra usage. No Carolina Hurricane has attempted more shots on the power play than Andrei Svechnikov. It's been him with 19 shot attempts, followed by Tevo Teravainen. And even better, uh, no one's taken more shots on net. Svechnikov has 15 power play shots on goal, followed by Eric Haula with 10. So Andrei Svechnikov is crushing it in every single way. Again, with the minutes he's seeing, I'm not sure. Like, that, that seems to be the barrier between him and a point-per-game pace, uh, but I like him for 70 for starters, and within uh, probably this a two-year window is too long to say within that time frame he's going to be a point-per-game player. It's going to happen soon. Yeah, maybe like next year you're going to want to draft him in like the second round. And for this year, yeah, 70 to 75 seems about right to me, especially if he can stick with Sebastian Ajo, right? And of course, uh, his gain, Svechnikov's gain of playing with Ajo uh, is counteracted by Nino Niederreiter's loss because I know, Brian, you were excited about Niederreiter going into the season, expecting him to stick with Ajo all season long. Now he's playing with Tara Vinen in stall, which is okay, but no Sebastian Ajo and only six points in 14 games for Nita Riders so far. Do you want to update your Nino projection at this point for the rest of the way? You put him down, I think, for like 68. I could see him as like a 55-point guy. Are you with me or are you still expecting more? Uh, it's hard. I really want to expect more from Nino Nita Rider. You, As you mentioned, I was high on him coming into the season and I feel like it's a little uh, cowardly. Or no, that's dumb. I was going to say to back off so quickly, but being afraid of cowardice means I might just mislead our listeners, but he hasn't had the power play role. I was hoping he's seeing just a 37% share of Carolina's available minutes. Uh, he's seeing fewer than 16 minutes a night, which is a, a cut from what he saw in Carolina last year. He's not shooting as much. Uh, his shooting percentage is suffering. So that's a piece of this. His five on five shooting percentage also weak. So like there's a mix of poor deployment and poor luck that have combined to give him a really awful pace to start. Uh, I should definitely revise my projection and put him closer to, I don't know, you probably will think 55 points is too high. 
No, I'll go 50 to 55, maybe even closer to 55 sounds like something that's definitely possible, but that would still be better than he did for most of his career. So I'm, I'm happy to leave it there. And yeah, you can't actually revise your projection. It's just a thought experiment of what if you could. But of course, we have to stick with what we came up with when we'll be judged by the fantasy ref at the end of the year. Uh, let's end in Washington, who, by the way, I tweeted recently, have the most off-day games over the next couple of months. I looked into it. So uh, if you're in a league that has bench spots and you're trying to stream people in, you want to have teams playing on these non-busy days. Generally, those are Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Washington has a ton of them coming up. Like I said, the next couple of months, they play Thursday, Saturday, next week. But after that, you should expect to get your capital streams into your lineups a lot of the time. So with that said, Brian, I actually was very close to adding Eric Stahl in my money league, the PHL. And last minute, I decided to look about how many times I'd be able to get Stahl into my lineup. And I realized Minnesota plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, most weeks. And there were going to be a lot of weeks where I'd only play him one or even zero times. Then I realized this Washington thing so I decided to add Jacob Verana instead and holy cow am I happy that I did he had a two goal game on Friday and tonight Brian do you know do you know what he's done I do know he has a hat trick well he did last has he scored again no, uh, the game ended 4-2 Washington. And yeah, hat-trick for Verona. This league gives an extra goals worth of fantasy points just for having a hat-trick. So it's the equivalent of having four goals. Oh, I, it's probably a game-winning goal. Yeah, so, oh my God. I got so many points today from Verona. I'm going to win so much money, Brian. I don't know if I'm going to even need to keep doing this podcast next year because I'm just going to retire with all of my wealth. But yeah, if you could still get him, obviously Jacob Verona is totally clicking on his line with Kuznetsov and Tom Wilson. And if he's still available in your league, Brian, no way we should be telling people to wait on even though Washington only plays Thursday, Saturday next week, it's a long-term investment that people have just got to take. Yeah, huge goal-scoring numbers, huge shot-taking numbers, too. Last I checked, he had 13 in the last two games. That was before the third period started. So, uh, like, I'm wondering, I'm hoping, if this is maybe Verona's Timo Meyer moment, where we see him taking huge shots, scoring goals, now he's going to stick in the top six, and we're never looking back. Yeah, way to go, Verana. And Brian, any change of heart, by the way? Obviously, it's easy for me when I come up with a question, so I could just point out the things that I recall from last week where you said something that didn't come true. So feel free to do that on your side sometime. But yeah, any change of heart on McCall Kempney after his three-assist game on Friday? And I believe he got another point today. Uh, yeah, another assist today. So this guy, Kempney, on Washington, just keeps on putting up points. That is now nine points in eight games on the season. I brought him up last week because he had already been on a good run and was getting top pairing deployment with John Carlson. Uh, do you still think that he's not worth looking at in fantasy? Has these couple of games changed your mind? Or, like, is there something different you're seeing that makes you think, okay, actually, maybe now I do want to start recommending this guy? Well, you love that he plays with John Carlson, which, yeah, is very exciting, especially given Carlson's start. Elon, do you know who John Carlson's most frequent defensive partner was last season? I'm assuming someone boring that doesn't know how to get points. Exactly. You're you're correct. It was Michael Kempney with oh, 25 oh. <laughs> points in 71 games, playing almost exclusively with John Carlson. He played like 75 of the 82 games by John Carlson's side. So the Carlson argument doesn't float. Uh, he scored three times on 10 shots in eight games. His teammates are scoring at a 28% success rate while he's on the ice. He's getting on 56% of his team's goals while he's on the ice. Uh, which is a big jump over the usual 25 to 30% of those goals he gets a point on. Michael Kempney is not for real. 
Okay, like, but just to throw it out there, again, like, I'm not suggesting that I think he's going to get, like, 82 points this season, right? Like, I'm asking if he should be on people's fantasy rosters. Usually a defenseman who gets you, like, 40-plus points is worth owning, and Kempney also isn't a complete slouch when it comes to the peripherals. So, like, how far, like, how irrelevant is he? Like, you you don't think there's a chance he's going to have a career year this year? Like, you know, obviously not counting the games where he's already produced so far. Now, last year he had a 30-point pace and was a plus 24 and had a couple blocks per game and maybe a hit. Uh, That's about what you can expect. All right, so let's see uh, next week. I'll have to bring him up again if he does well, but if he doesn't do anything, then listeners will know that Brian was right. And okay, psych, just kidding. Just one more, Brian. Shane Gossespeher bumped from the top power play once again. If you recall, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how he had been bumped, and then we saw then that, oh, no, he was actually back on the top power play, but no, he's bumped again. So I'm pulling the cord. I promise this is the last time I'm going to bring up Shane Gossespeher unless he does something differently. Same with Zach Parisi, right? The, the same deal here. Unless you tell people, no, uh, actually, no, I'm still into Goss's behair, then I don't know if I still have to bring him up. I don't want to, but are you with me at this point? Provorov had two power play points yesterday. It just doesn't seem like Goss's behair is their guy anymore, so why hold him on your roster? I agree. I, I, I'm, I'm at that point. I'm with you. I won't say it for Clefbaum because we saw a really great run from him. Uh, I'm pretty over Goss's behair. I still think he's got it, uh, but he's got to show it or be in a place where he can show it, and it yeah. doesn't seem to be working for him. By the way, Clefbaum's still on the top power play, right? Like, a Gosses yeah. doesn't have that. Uh, Philly, by the way, plays four times next week. And Oscar Lindblom continues to crush it on his line with Couturier and Konechny. His assist yesterday brought him to 11 points in 13 games. Lindblom is only owned in 7% of Yahoo leagues. Got to imagine he's among your top free agents available right now if he's not owned in your league. If you can get him in your lineup, I'm saying you, I'm talking to you, the listener, okay? If you could even get him in your lineup for three of his four games next week, I think it's time to get on board with Lindblom. Uh, so, Brian, if you don't disagree, then we could finally close out the show. I'm not going to be a grouch here about Lindblom. I am. Uh, I'm into him. I'm not into a 70 point pace, but I am into like he's playing with Couturier. That's great. He's taking advantage of limited power play time, which may or may not continue at quite the pace it has. But I think he's a he's a decent bet to break 50 points if that gives you some value, and he could even be a 55 point player. Boom. And yeah, grab him for next week. Good schedule. Okay. So with that, Brian, thank you so much for all of your hot takes. And thanks to everyone for listening to this show. I really hope you liked it. If you do enjoy what we produce for you each week on Keeping Carlson, we'd love to hear from you. Let us, if you don't also, I mean, we'd love to hear from you. You could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with any feedback. Also, like, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, whatever. If you could leave us a good review on iTunes, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, Also, if you really, really like the show, like we say every week, we do have our Patreon program, which is a lot of fun. We're going to do a patron cast actually this Wednesday. So a bonus episode where we answer any question from the patrons. You could sign up as a patron right now, throw your questions into the patron cast list, and then listen to the show and hear the answers to your questions. How about that? So check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron to find out what other perks you can get along with the patron cast for being a patron of course we have our facebook group which is popping right now but okay with that brian how about we cue the outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits i will but first i just want to say that like you know if you're sad that this episode of keeping carlson is over and you're gonna have to wait a full seven days for some new keeping carlson content uh, this might be the last time you need to wait a full seven days in a while to get that extra I'm just going to drop that there. Tease. Uh, okay, what do I usually say here, though? This episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. 
It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job as always. Brian, really looking forward to doing this all again next week and talking to you on Wednesday for the Patreoncast. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Stein, even though he's on the Sharks and they kind of suck. Yeah, well, I have John Carlson, so I'm good either way. Bye!